Jason and I have much differing tastes than Lee and I, where I can imagine Lee and I doing an episode on the 90s and it being almost the same list. Say what you will about our lists, you guys, but they're not the same. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy that. I uh, hope you're prepared to duck in for two full episodes so that we can get this done good and proper. As usual, there will be spoilers for these six movies that we actually review, and we will be commenting on a lot of the movies that we talk about uh, throughout the 90s. So hopefully you're horror movie savvy, and uh, hopefully you don't mind uh, a fairly spoiler-ish discussion on some of these movies. Uh, you can let me know how I did or how Jason did by writing me at rankingreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. I'm your host, and I'm Canadian Larry Parsons, and again, sorry for the swears, sorry for the spoilers, but I do not apologize for my podcast. Jason Dubray, thank you so much for being back with here with us in Unranking Review uh, to discuss the 1990s, that decade, as opposed as how we feel about horror in the mm-hmm. 1990s. Uh, you expressed a great interest in doing one of these, you know... <laughs> epic. Epic decade-long examinations. And uh, I want to just say, coming through the door, just to be honest, um, I don't want you to think I didn't do my due diligence. I did watch a lot of 90s movies, but um, this was a decade, unlike the 70s, for instance, where there wasn't a lot of gaps for me. Uh, I've always watched a lot of movies, but yep. in the 90s, before I had kids, before I, you know, <laughs> life was really kicking in in a serious way, <laughs> I watched a lot, a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. So, whereas with the 70s list, I felt like I had all these gaps I needed to fill. And this yeah. one, it was more about revisiting certain things and trying to figure out where the list was going to land. Um, so... I didn't rewatch or rediscover a bunch of movies this time out mm-hmm. uh, the way I did with the 70s and a little bit with the 80s, because I guess <laughs> the 90s were, like I said, the apex of my collecting yeah. movies and watching movies time. Like, 
Unfortunately, I would argue, at least compared to the other decades I've examined so far, the 90s weren't super amazing when it comes to horror. It wasn't the strongest decade. Um, the Kevin Williamson effect, the scream effect, as mm -hmm. it were, not that there he hadn't seen sort of satire and comedy within horror before, it started to kind of take over a little bit in the 90s. It was like the 90s were too cool in a lot of ways to make an honest horror movie. <laughs> so when a real one showed up, we could make a meal out of it. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about 90s cinemas, and why have you decided to put yourself in this position? Well, because <laughs> the 90s, and I think I've mentioned this on some shows before, the 90s are when I became a full-on movie geek, early 90s. So I, I feel like I identify with that decade the most. I feel like that's when I, like you were saying, watched endless movies, bought tons of movies, started a huge collection, which continues to this day. Um, which is funny because I don't, life hasn't sped up for me in some ways. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm in the same situation. I don't have, I'm not responsible for kids or anything right now, but I, uh, but I go back to the 90s as being like that was the time for me. The time that I wish I could have fully experienced was the seventies. Right. So I, to me, those are the two best decades for movies, at least. Uh, as far as so you movies in color yeah. and and that kind, I I haven't been a huge fan of. There, there's the odd movie here or there in the twenty first century. Yeah. So I feel like kind of the last great decade for movies was the nineties. At the same time, I would agree with you that for horror even more options in the 1990s or 1980s in the 1990s um, and I think some of the things you're you're mentioning here is and just coming up with this list and I talked to you about it a little bit about some people might get mad at me that some of my picks may not be ones that immediately click and think that's a horror movie right because I feel like uh, the genres started to overlap a bit in the 90s and I think that's that cool factor you're talking about we can't just have a, a, a slasher movie, just to have a slasher movie. Uh, we have to have sort of a social comment about violence because movies were being attacked by uh, politicians on both sides all throughout that decade. It wasn't enough to just have a crazy, weird creature feature anymore. Yeah. There had to be more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the 80s, I mean, I, I, I've talked before about, you know... Jason Voorhees basically being a Republican mascot if you wanted it to be. <laughs> he punishes promiscuous sex and drug use, right? But uh, I think in the in the 90s, there was this almost shame to it. There was almost stink on it. You either have to be making fun of it or making a comment on it. Mm -hmm. and be ironic, and that definitely dulls your horror. So much so that I think in the aughts, we kind of swung, the, the pendulum swung to the other extreme, and all of a sudden, torture porn started becoming... The flavor of the week again. This is, you, you kind of blame Scream? Well, I think it's that? just... Well, there was the aftermath. There's another movie from another decade that I would... Yeah. But, you know, it gets darker, obviously, the aftermath of 9-11. The horror movies uh -huh. start getting a little bit uglier. But I do think that, that Scream made horror movies so safe for so long that people started to long for a horror movie that wasn't safe <laughs> anymore. Yeah. And that's mainly how I feel about a lot of 90s horror. It's safe. I even love the stuff that is really influential and impactful, uh, comparatively safe by today's standards. We're going to talk about The Silence of the Lambs. I said this before when we talked about it on the show. I think it's an amazing movie, but I think that by today's standards... Because, like, Silence of the Lambs basically had this ripple effect throughout cinema. 
like if Tom Salams came out today, it would be it would be boring. It would be a snore basically for most people. It was just like it was the pioneer for it brought like sort of the hard, ugly, dark procedural sort of to the forefront again. But uh, but, but now like mainstream television jumped on that. Criminal Minds is a show that it's pretty much slams every week, yeah. every night, every mm-hmm. week is basically some sort of derivation yeah. of Silence. It stays on the air for do. I'm not saying Silence is a bad movie. In fact, I think it's a fantastic movie. But mm-hmm. I think its impact has been lessened by time. I think that's just a true statement. Um, and I'm starting to see, you know, some of these are starting to look more dog-eared. Some of them are starting to feel dated in the way 80s movies feel dated. So far in a kind of charming way, but it's interesting how quickly that starts to happen, too. It's not like these movies were made in the 50s. You know, yeah. They're made in the 90s, yeah. but some of them are kind of almost comically outdated already. <laughs> they aren't as... Mind you, I'm not easily scared. Right. Um, I, I movies from the nine horror movies from the nineteen seventies actually did scare me, not as much in the nineteen nineties. Yet when I first saw these, it's one of those I've heard you describe this before. Seeing these movies and understanding them, you know, as a preteen, as a teen, and then going back as an adult, and it's like, oh, oh. should I have been watching that <laughs> yeah. when I was that age? You know. Um, Maybe it didn't affect us when we were younger because it couldn't affect us when we were younger the same Mm -hmm. way it can when we've lived a bit of a life. But you're right. I don't think um, 15-year-old horror fans, if Silence of the Lambs was released next, this weekend, would... What's this? I do think that critics would still jump on it as being a great movie. Yeah. And that's the thing I was wrestling with with my... with the lists... Was there were some movies? Of, this is a great movie. Is it a great horror movie? And then is this a better? Am I thinking that this is a better horror movie, or should be you know higher on my list because it's a great movie, or is it actually scary in right. compared to this the other one? So that's that's something I was kind of balancing out, which I don't know if you needed to balance that out as much with. Uh, my list is pretty personal. There's a couple of inclusions. I could like I can hear the Beckmans of the world yelling at their <laughs> yelling at their iPhone or whatever. But um, well, he might be really yelling at my list too. So that's 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 fine. I'm curious to see what it is. Is there anything else you want to say about the '90s as an introduction? Well, I just want to say something about the 2010s here. I hope you invite me for that show so that I can uh, put uh, Book of Trespasses <laughs> on uh, on uh, the list because that that's you know, you've made this movie that. Take some familiar stuff from horror movies of the past, but does it in such a unique way. So I wanted to do a shout out to that as well. Thank you. Uh, this episode of, uh, of, of Rank and Review is brought to you in part by Book of Trespasses. Book of Trespasses. <laughs> I think you said that at a screening. We're supposed to say that how many times a day? Five day, times a day? As much as you can. Just yeah. like Book of Trespasses in the conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, October 27th, we're going to have another screening at the Broadway Theater. It's nice. Like Saskatchewan. Everybody so, should go. Uh, if you can. If, you if can. you're listening to this and you are in New York City. Yeah. Thank you. To Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. <laughs> Get it's the tickets. event of the year in Saskatoon. So. <laughs> Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. Um, Jumping the needle. The six movies that we're going to talk about <laughs> to cover the decade of the 90s. I've noticed uh, a lot of them are very early in the 90s. The Exorcist Part 3, mm-hmm. I believe, 1990. Yep. Nightbreed, I believe, 1990. 90 as well, yeah. 
uh, Silence of the Lambs. 91. I believe 91, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the director's cut of Mimic. We're going to talk about Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder was 91 as 91 well. 91 as yeah. well. And Mimic was later on. And uh, what did I miss? Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project, of course, from 1999. But it's interesting how we're focusing, or at least the, the picks that we came up to discuss, most of them, 90 and 91. So it may be the offshoot of late 80s. Who knows? It could be residual 80s creeping in, yeah. or it could just be, like I say, the scream effect. Movies were, were less scary towards the middle of the 90s. Yeah. I think that, in a way, what made uh, The Blair Witch such a, a, a refreshing to drink, you know, was above the shaky camera, above the stylistic approach, above everything else, it was scary. And I think it had been a while since the public had been subjected to something that was honestly frightening. The search of the three missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man-hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, um, a few other options we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? I'm so scared. <laughs> All right, so Blair Witch, you, uh, I guess we shouldn't talk about where they rank because I'm not sure where they're going to edit. But, uh, yeah. Uh, we, we put them in very different spots on the list, as it turns yes. out. But I both think we have a lot of respect for it. Um, yes. It's interesting how much this was lightning in a bottle because it would mm. seem like this was really easy they just got a bunch of kids threw them out in the woods scared the shit out of them <laughs> they filmed it themselves no yep. dop you know yep. no script supervision they shot hours and hours of footage and they just cut it down to the scariest 80 minutes that they could yeah that sounds like it would be easy to do, Jason, no. but it is not fucking easy to do. As you know, outdoor locations are <laughs> not fun. Shooting outside is the worst. It'll be easy. We'll just shoot in some random stretch of woods. No problem. <laughs> just plug into a tree somewhere. Um, but then you look at where it went, just like the Blair Witch franchise alone, let alone like found footage. The immediate sequel, Book of Shadows, was an absolute debacle. An absolute <laughs> embarrassing debacle, <laughs> yes. almost to the level of Exorcist to the Heretic. Like it's, <laughs> it's as bad as this movie is good. And then the third Blair Witch movie, which had a really decent director and creative team behind it, I think is only about fifty percent there. Mm -hmm. I think the second half of that movie works really well. Unfortunately, by the time we get to it, the movies really pissed me off. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, for me, it always comes back to this first Blair Witch Project. Mm -hmm. um, I remember they there's an accompanying documentary get on the DVD that they aired on the Space Channel here and Sci-Fi Network in the States, mm -hmm. which uh, purported to be one of these faux documentaries about a real legend mm -hmm. of the Blair Witch. And uh, I don't think you can underserve how important creating this back history narrative was for making this Blair Witch movie feel more authentic. I think just by the fact that you paid your ticket money and you were seeing this on a big screen, on some level, unless you're just a very willfully naive person, you know that these this isn't a snuff film you're watching, that mm -hmm, these kids mm -hmm. didn't really die. Mm -hmm. But it was really easy to allow yourself to believe it. Uh, the separation between, you know, the fiction on the screen seemed 
closer. Even in a movie like Jurassic Park, you understand you're in the hands of a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg is going to show you people being eaten by dinosaurs. Yeah. They couldn't do that. Yeah. But they made a movie every bit as scary. It, it's just so authentic. It's, it's true horror, but it's also um, it's these young people making a movie that they want to make a movie. Um, and they came up with a, a great concept. Uh, I just for me... I, I'm I'm more scared about what I don't see as opposed to what I do see, which is why David Lynch is such an effective filmmaker, <laughs> which we talk about throughout. Uh, but uh, I just admire this film. I almost wonder because it, you know, it, again I, I mentioned it was up for Razzie Awards, and that I was totally confused by that because I. I loved it. I thought it was a genuinely scary idea. To me, it's a little bit scarier watching it on uh, uh, some bootleg VHS it's in, in, your, in your home. Some movies are better on the big screen. Some, some be- movies found, are better at home in the found dark. Footage found is, footage is better in the dark at yeah, home. It's um, a, a home viewing experience works better, I honestly think. As much as like the Paranormal Activity was sold on, oh, look at how much fun people are having in the theaters. I think that movie is scary in the middle of the afternoon at home, right? Well, I watched that one um, when I was renting a house, but I was the only person home. I watched it at something like 11 p.m., midnight, yeah. and I could not sleep. It's the rare movie where I actually could not sleep afterwards. Right. But I've heard people, like much like the Blair Witch, just completely complain that it's a terrible film. Yeah. Um, and Blair Witch is not. I, I one of the things I wonder about is I, I don't know if they had like union people involved with this. If maybe there was a backlash from the industry that a movie could be the successful made by. Well, there was like truly independent. This uh, spider under thing going on in the '90s, largely started by Steven Soderbergh and his success with Sex Lies and Videotape. Yeah. And Richard Linklater with the Slacker and Dazed and Confused yeah. and all of this, where all of a sudden you could just be some guy who made a movie mm-hmm. and it would get picked up. Uh, uh, so I think that the indie filmmaking thing, this seems to go in peaks and valleys generally. Yeah. Right now, we're definitely at the other end of the spectrum where uh, everybody with a phone can make a film. Yeah, everybody with a phone can make a film, but they're not being embraced in the same way no. that they were in the 90s. No. I think at some point people will get sick enough of the next superhero or the next Star Wars movie that they're going to be hungry for uh, some indie filmmaker to blow people's minds again. But we're not quite there yet. But yeah. tick, 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 tick. Well, in particularly with horror, I think there, you could make an argument with Get Out mm-hmm. that you know there is this craving for, for a genre movie like that. No, they had a l- little bit more money. Well, probably quite a bit more money. Um, than Blair Witch did, but I, you know, I I really enjoy this film. Uh, I've and it just depends on the situation. I've I've watched it and I've been really like I felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, in in the right way um, watching it. So other times I watch and like, why why do I love the, this movie so much? And then I will give it some time in between, and then I'll watch it again. And like, no, they were they were on the cutting edge here and. To me, it's a movie that pioneered uh, a subgenre, and uh, there are there are a lot of films uh, now that owe their success and more success than Blair Witch has experienced. And if they didn't pioneer it, they perfected it. Yeah, 
And they definitely popularized it. <laughs> well, I mean, we had mockumentaries, yeah. but those were not, you know, the purpose is comedy. Typically. Um, but this, I, I, I don't recall, now mind you, I haven't seen every horror movie of all time, so I mean, I'm not Cannibal sure I'm going to get Holocaust there. From yeah, you can, you can And arguably argue that. Keeping Tom from 67. Okay. Although that movie's not complete force perspective, just for the specific murder scenes that they are. Um, and then, of course, there's the opening to Halloween, there's the opening to Black Christmas. Like, the forced perspective had yeah. been used before, mm-hmm. but it hadn't been the whole enchilada necessarily, yeah. right? The entire movie. Um, and just the way it's told. Yes, they had some scripts, but, like, they would... For people who were telling stories at the beginning of the movie about the Blair Witch, they would say, here's the story. And they would tell the person the story, and they would ask that person to repeat that story mm-hmm. in their own words. These are real people. Exactly. Well, and there's that... Well, there's a one scene where they go up to this property and you can tell the person who owns it is not comfortable. Like, like who are these yeah. people showing up in my house? It, to me, that felt very real. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here that feels real and makes it more horrifying in the fact that we, you know, don't really see the Blair Witch. Which is a brave, which is, tough choice. Yeah. Like, but that's, uh, that's so good. The, we hear everything we need to about the yep. movie. The other found footage movie that this has a direct influence on, I've talked about in the past, Willow Creek, which was directed oh, by yes. Bobcat Goldthwaite. Mm-hmm. Again, you could lay Willow Creek on top of this movie, and it's almost the same movie, beat for beat. Mm-hmm. I still really like Willow Creek, but you can Blair Witch. Feel that. Um, but Blair Witch, I like the way they approached the naturalistic dialogue. They would say, you have to make your way to this point, and then they find the sticks hanging in the trees and the actors react naturally to just discovering the sticks in the trees. They get to another plot point and then one of the Michael C. Williams characters told, okay, confess to that you deliberately lost the map. Yeah. And then that scene happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting how stuff changed through the production. When they were making the movie originally as scripted, Michael was the one that went missing first, not mm-hmm. Josh. But... Josh and Heather's relationship had become <coughs> so ugly that they mm-hmm. decided we better get rid of Josh first. <laughs> uh, and that sort of so that lasts. came from the improvisation, from, yep. like where that was coming from. Yep. Also, like I said, hours and hours of footage that they had to bear mm-hmm. down. What I really love about this is that it was the strength of the concept and the idea to take nothing away from the actors. Again, I think they do a really, really good job. The story is everything here. Mm-hmm. I mean, people can, can talk about, you know, the forced perspective. They can talk about, you know, Heather's crying and snotting all over the lens <laughs> yes, and everything sir. like that. But what makes the movie scary is the Blair Witch. And what makes the movie really scary is that we never see yes. the Blair Witch. Yeah. And that's great. Unfortunately, the only actor that's come, really, Joshua Leonard, has come been coming up in the world. And uh, I've, I've actually, he did a, an episode of uh, True Detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the remake of... Uh, uh, oh my god the town that dreaded sundown he's in the new Steven Soderbergh movie oh, okay. so like he's actually coming up in the world so uh, I'm glad to see it but Heather Donahue just got raked over the coals for this movie yeah like, wasn't she up for worst actress or something she was yeah. nominated for worst actress for the Razzies and all of this and as far People as I'm misjudge this movie so this is badly. what it looks like when somebody completely falls apart and no, it's not pretty. And no, it's not nice to listen to. But it's authentic. Mm-hmm. And people are so used to n- not seeing authenticity on the screen that mm-hmm. when they get it, 
they react badly to it. Mm-hmm. It's you're so used to seeing the cute, precocious Hollywood little toddler that when you see a real toddler, the math doesn't work out yeah. for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Same thing here. If somebody has gone to the point where they're so desperate that they're almost losing their mind and composure, it's not a pretty thing to witness. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be a pretty thing to witness. And I think it's arguably one of the harder things to execute as a performer authentically. And I think she did a fantastic job of it. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not Heather's a likable character... We can have well, she, that But she's not. I mean, she's very manipulative. Uh, she doesn't give these guys the whole story of what she's doing, but... That's why people don't like the performance, though. But, but because they don't because like she the was, character. It was because she was so good exactly. at playing that character. And I think the other maybe slight problem with them not being known um, was they, people thought, oh, these are just... The actors are the characters that they play. Yeah. Oh, and this is just what she's like. And she's just a horrible person, and I don't like her. And it's all the characters share the same first name as the actors who play them. That was a deliberate choice. Yeah. But I honestly think and I don't people, think it's a bad choice. People conflate her difficult character with it being a bad performance, and I think it's a good performance mm-hmm. of a difficult character. Mm-hmm. And I think the big win for her character is that she acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. She says in that confession, like, I'm sorry to my parents. I'm sorry to everyone's parents. Mm-hmm. It was my fault. It was my decision. It was my project. I insisted on everything. I led us to this. And it's like you have a Cooper character, like a Night of the Living Dead character, who is at least self-aware enough mm-hmm. to acknowledge they fucked up. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they'll just stubbornly stomp their feet and say, no, I think it was actually a real win for her character. I mean, she didn't win, obviously, but mm. for her personally to acknowledge that, no, I insisted on having it my way, and this is what my way got us. I, I, and I guess that scene I have trouble with. And I, It didn't bother scene. me. Yeah, it didn't bother me the first time I, I saw it, but I was taking the whole thing in. It's... And even now, when I watched it again, and I was like, I got back to where I was in '99 with this film, liking it quite a bit. That part, part of it, feels a little bit scripted, a little bit too inauthentic. If you know, I, I like that you have a character who is, you know, admitting to um, her faults. Like if I do something like really, really horrible. Um, uh, and I don't know why I did that, and then afterwards I'm apologizing to someone. Um, that's how people operate. Yeah. Most people operate that way. So I like having the scene in there, but it felt it, it felt like she it, it was a little bit too much like a speech that she had prepared, as opposed to somebody who is honestly kind of owning up to uh, to what she's done. So I, I mean, on... I, but I, I like that it's in there. But there's just some aspects of that part that bothered me a, a bit not enough to yeah. you know hate the movie as much as people seem to have being reminded of Blair Witch Project when I'm watching different movies and sometimes surprising movies mm-hmm. just over my vacation I watched The Shallows with my wife and my mom yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a shark movie <laughs> feel good picture actually really liked it uh, but there's a scene where she is about to swim from her rock to this buoy out in the middle of the water and she knows there's a really good chance that she's going to die and she has this GoPro and she records a goodbye and an apology to mm-hmm. her family. And right away, I'm like, 
Blair Witch Project. Is that stolen from it? Or, oh, I don't or know if it it's just, stolen. Or just it, subconsciously it's yeah. maybe crept in. But that's but. kind of the same scene, mm-hmm. right? She got herself in this position. She insisted that she wanted to, you know, uh, go find this beach. And when her friend was too drunk to join her, she went anyway. Mm-hmm. She's there by herself. And she got herself into this terrible position. She acknowledges it. She says goodbye to her family because she assumes she's going to die. And she sort of throws this message in a bottle out to the ocean. And that's exactly how I felt about the scene in the Blair Witch Project. She doesn't know that anyone's going to find the footage. Mm-hmm. It's just something she's she preparing herself yeah. for her inevitable fate. Yeah. I think at that point they know they're not going to be able to walk out of the woods. No. Um, yeah, we didn't really talk a lot. I just assume everybody's seen the Blair Witch Project, but... They go to investigate a local legend, they start wandering around in the woods, and they find that they can't get out of it. They're mm-hmm. clearly being fucked with by some supernatural force. At first they think they're just lost and they're blaming each other, but it's... They not. slowly come to realize that they're just mm-hmm. under her spell mm-hmm. or under her whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's creepy. It's creepy without showing us any of the, the uh, like, gore at all, really. Mm-hmm. We hear stories about people being disemboweled. We hear story about a witch that floats through the woods and has hair like a horse. Mm-hmm. We hear all of these tales, and that's enough to scare us. It goes back to the very basic, essential element, what I love about movies and what I love generally about horror fiction. Do you have a good story to tell? Because if you have a good story to tell, you can make it for a few hundred bucks and it will conquer the world if it's good enough a story. If you don't have a story to tell, David Lynch, it just goes nowhere. <laughs> I, feel like that, I feel like that should be the last line there that I should uh, be sorry. allowed to respond <laughs> to this. You're allowed to respond. Uh, I'm sorry, it was a cheap shot at uh, David Lynch. But, yeah, that uh, seems to be the, the, <laughs> the Lee Beckman uh, <laughs> controlling our minds here and fighting <laughs> David Lynch is what this has become. but The bullet point is that Blair Witch lives up to the hype. Mm-hmm. I think that it's kind of our generation's Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. In that if you didn't see it when it came out, of the time it came out, it, its strengths might not be immediately obvious. It's important for when it came out of that time. But no movie in the 90s scared me as much as the Blair Witch yeah. Project. Yeah, so. Fair enough. The, I am... Um... The thing I do want to say that I think people, whether you go along with the whole story of the witch and all that, um, a lot of people go camping. Yes. And there's still something very, very creepy about going camping and the silence of it. And then you start to hear things. And and so it, the movie also works on that level. And we have these, because of the camera, they're filming a lot in this tent. And like, what is going on outside of this tent? Um, and I, what you I, imagine will be worse than anything yeah. I could show you. It's like going to summer camp, um, and uh, you know, there's this kindly woman that turns out to be Jason's mother. There, yes. so, yeah. And it's it just works. this weird conceit that you're sleeping in the middle of this wilderness, in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of this wildness, and what's protecting you? A tiny thin scrap of pat pat. <laughs> yes. Anything that wants in to get you oh, is just of course. So killing and getting Yeah, it's not going to protect fall- you from a bear. It's, it's, not gonna- it's like hiding under a blanket when a bear attacks you. Yeah. Right? It's just not going to do Or the anything. monster in your closet. Exactly. You're hiding under your safe blanket. Well, yeah. you know. Uh, at the end of the day, we're not supposed to be traipsing out in the woods. So don't do it. Yeah.
to rank our top 25 horror movies of the 90s. All right. It's exciting. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about some special mentions after we finish yeah. the list. But uh, I probably had about a top 30, I would yeah. say, with regrets that there were some other ones, too, that I... I just in. sort of made decisions, and we'll talk <laughs> about it afterwards, of things that I would and would not include yeah. on the list. And this is the best. If you give it... If I did this for another week, I'd be agonizing over it. I don't know how much change there would be. There would be a little bit of change, but I think this is yeah. This is what it is. All right. Well, what was your number twenty-five ranked film? Okay. Number twenty-five, and and this this one, some people might think it should be higher up here. Is the Blair Witch Project? Um, then uh, my number twenty-four is. Oh. Uh, let's just start. Or do we want to talk 25th about? place is 25th is the Blair Witch Project okay. yeah um, yeah so obviously uh, it ranks much higher for me than you but uh, where do you how do you feel about it generally it, it's one I'm mixed on I, I actually like the lead-up experience having been around when the movie was released and I actually it, it, it was almost like something from the movie there was a kind of bootleg VHS that was going around Saskatoon at the time yeah. that I was able to borrow from uh, the previously mentioned Mr. Beckman. Yes. And uh, so I watched it and it, it was it was freaky and there hadn't been anything like this before. But I, I knew that it was a movie, uh, spoilers or, you know, um, that it was a movie. This was, wasn't it something was, that actually happened. It was presented but, as if it was a true thing, but, but obviously, you know, found This is a really long story, but... Uh, um, and then we could get into it when we talk about the movie a little bit more, but uh, I had a, a manager who I was really good friends with at Rainbow Cinemas at the time, and he was having kind of a, a guy's weekend. And I'd, I'd mentioned this movie, and he said, oh, like, this is, this, this is going to be big this year. It's coming out in, an, in the summer. It, it's yeah. coming out in the summer, but we have it early. Um, I could show you this. We watched it, and then I told him at the end, no, these were actors, and this was all a setup. And so we watched it with his friends and it freaked the hell out of them. And I, I wasn't staying over. Others were staying over. And then I came back the next day for, I'm not sure what we were doing the next day. And so I, I show up and I say, uh, okay, so how did you react when Todd told you that uh, the whole thing was, was fake? <laughs> and these guys like looked at him and wanted to kill him and he didn't tell us. I didn't sleep a wink last night. And I was just like, it worked. I mean... It, it, before everything else happened, it it was effective, but it was maybe effective for that. In that for I, I don't remember being quite as freaked out by it. Oddly enough, when I saw it in the movie theater, right, and watching it again recently, I I, I liked it more because it got Razzie nominations. It was it was actually not it well received. People, people, people loved, loved it. it and people hated it. Exactly. I was more on the loved it side, and over time, I thought, was it just kind of the gimmick is that I fall for the gimmick and because I ended up watch, I watched it a lot that year in 99 I think um, but watching it this time I'm like it, it still is a well made horror movie but I just happened to like a bunch of other films yeah. more and Fair and again some of these that I mentioned you might say that's not actually a horror movie and Blair Witch <laughs> should be ahead of that so well, um, let's save that reaction till you hear my, my 25th rank yep. in the bottom of this I made a special place for a so bad it's good movie I'm not saying that this is a great movie I'm saying that this is an incredibly entertaining stupid movie mm -hmm. I'll give an honorable, honorable mention to Anaconda but Anaconda is not <laughs> on the list okay 
Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Holy! <laughs> oh. This, uh, oh, this no. tale of, uh, of um, sharks that are being made bigger and smarter in order to solve Alzheimer's is also <laughs> a not-so-subtle parable on the evils of science and the benefits of religious faith. It's completely <laughs> ludicrous. The, it uh, is. LL Cool J is in the movie. Almost every time he's on screen, you just want to rip your own face free of your scalp. <laughs> but it's also like so crazy and so moment-to-moment bonkers that I do genuinely find it entertaining. So in my you know lonely so bad it's good <clears throat> nomination in 25th place we're, we're gonna have different Deeply we are gonna have different lists <laughs> yeah, I, fair enough I, the thing i remember was at, sam, at, jackson. sam jackson at that point <laughs> i mean he was still kind of in the phase when he was doing serious movies he wasn't he wasn't going for the paycheck like he's pretty much later than the 21st century has been so that might be a bit of an over uh, whatever because i i was at a point where i thought he was one of the best actors around off of uh uh, Jungle Fever and Pulp Fiction. I, I thought his performance in A Time to Kill, for example, I was, said on was highly record, underrated. I've said on the record on this show, uh, having Samuel Jackson is good for your movie. <laughs> I'm not sure it was good in this case because he has one of his one of his monologues, and um, my friend and I we watched it at a drive-in. I think we missed about 20 minutes of the movie because after this monologue happens, we lost it. We were we burst out laughing. Well, and cannot control ourselves, and that's that, the reaction wow. I would expect. That's why so, I'm recommending the movie, not yeah. because you're going to. be It's cheered. entertaining. It's entertaining. There it's you go. I'll give you that. Completely stupid, mm-hmm. but it's entertaining. Yeah. So yeah. And so the, Anaconda would have been in, would have been in that similar type of a, sort of place. Yeah. Like, I, I, think, I agree with you. I think that movie is terrible, and I think mm-hmm. that movie is wonderful. <laughs> I, I'd put Anaconda. Neither are on my list, but I would put Anaconda ahead of. Uh, oh, deeply yeah. Fair enough. I also have the shark thing, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your twenty fourth position? 24th, uh, I went uh, with uh, Ringu, so that's the Japanese the original, version. original version of The Ring. Uh, in my opinion, a scarier version of The Ring um, from beginning to end. Um, it, uh, yeah, it really, really stays with you. Again, I'm not sure it scared me because I, I, I knew the story ahead of time. But I, I think in its original form, it's uh, it's a better film than the the American. Can I ask which you saw first? I, I saw the American one first. Oh, interesting. So so did I, and uh, that's why I thought I I just preferred that version, and I always just assumed if I'd seen the original first, I'd prefer the original. Yeah, it, it's weird it, that yeah. Uh, that usually is the case most of the time, but uh, I felt like the original gave us a little bit more of a backstory to hang all of the spookiness on, but. Uh, uh, solid choice. I won't fight you on mm-hmm. that. Well, I just talked about how much I like the backstory in your movie. <laughs> yet somehow for that movie, I don't less feel that more. I need as much of a backstory. It's just sometimes less is really, more. Really, really creepy. Asian cinemas, like they, a lot of the, uh, especially these ghost stories that you see yes. out of like Japan and Korea, they almost feel like what it would be if if, if David Lynch could actually make a horror movie instead of just a David Lynch movie. You know what I mean? Like. They're really weird and really scary, and they in in a way that helps the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in twenty fourth position for me, mm-hmm. uh, again, this one people would debate: is it a horror movie? Is it not? Uh, Kenneth Branagh's Dead Again. Oh, okay. Uh, it's more of a, I guess, supernatural psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's some violence to it. There's some suspense to yeah. it, but. 
Uh, it's basically, it was Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson basically announcing themselves as arriving in Hollywood. They've mm-hmm. been doing great work in, in, in England. Now they come overseas to conquer. And um, I've always really, really liked the movie. It's kind of got a convoluted plot, but it's balanced really well. Uh, really great cast. And uh, Branagh doing this quite impressive act like he mm-hmm. had throughout his career of centering both as an actor and a director, uh, a, a quite impressive spiraling narrative. So, uh, dead again, big fan. I, also, I, I, uncredited I, performance from Robin Williams, as yes. we mentioned as well. I've always loved that mm-hmm. movie. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's we should have had him on our Robin Williams that, that <laughs> movie because that performance was better than some of the ones we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, and it was so different for him that that character that that he plays in in Dead Again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I really like that film. When I was preparing for this, I went and rewatched it, and I kind of ruled it out because I thought it wasn't enough of a horror movie. Right. Um, yet everything you're saying about it is is terrific, and I felt like like a few films that might be mentioned here, the influence of Hitchcock. Yeah. In that film was Pretty was strong. felt and uh, and it was in in very good hands. So it's a great selection. It's a terrific film. You're not fighting me on that one. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I kind of wish I could put it on here. I just had ruled it out so early on that, uh, yeah, good choice. Fair enough. Uh, what's your next selection? 20, 23, and I was wrestling with this one. This one is an out-and-out horror movie, mm-hmm. and it is Candyman. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, I watched it years ago, and I remember liking it. Enough, but I, I needed to rewatch it to, you know, just to get some details clear and to just decide does does it belong on this list or not. And I've, I, I told some people that I was considering this for the show, and they're like, Candyman, really? Like, hmm. seems like there's maybe a little bit. Not not everybody likes it. I I just found it to be um, a true horror movie. Uh, it has the gore. It has. Uh, the character it has an interesting backstory which impacts uh, um, uh, the the main part. Uh, Virginia Mad- Madsen's in it, and She's I've always really liked her. She doesn't get enough work. I mean, she kind of showed up years later in, in Sideways, but nothing much has happened since she then. She's usually for her. sort of like the hot naughty girl in the in a lot of movies. That yeah. I, what I really like about Candyman is that she got to show off. She can center a movie and do it. She well. did. I think that movie's creepy. Yeah. It, it is creepy, yeah. So I think it's a true horror movie that I, I put on this list. All right, so number 23, again, uh, once again, we're talking about a movie that couldn't maybe be called a horror movie 100%, but mm. it's a movie that's memorable from the 90s and that I do think has horrifying elements to it. Yes, from the director of Batman and Robin, Falling Down. Oh, Falling Down. Starring Michael Douglas. Oh, um, cool. It's basically about a dude who's been laid off from his job and has been pretending to go to work for several days. <laughs> and on the day of his daughter's birthday, he snaps. He's stopped, stuck in gridlock and he's just trying to get a, a present for his daughter and you know find a way to get to her. And he ends up uh, walking across Los Angeles in an increasingly frightening and violent journey where uh, pretty much anybody who crosses his path Mm-hmm. Is in is in some real danger, so it's got sort of a. I want to say taxi driver edge, but it's not taxi driver. No, it's not no. a fair thing to put. But I, I think that 
it's trying to to say something and it's a pretty subversive bold thriller yes and uh i think michael douglas is really strong in it i mm-hmm. think uh robert duvall is really strong in it and uh it's one of the ones that i can use in defense of schumacher because schumacher takes a lot of hits and yeah he's, he's actually a he's, very he's, good director yeah he's a very good director um yeah, he, he might be mentioned later on in my list. Not this specific film. Right. But I'm really liking your list. Right. I, I mean, it's different than mine, but right. I, I, I like where you're going with it because uh, it's real life horror. Yes. Uh, the other one that I wanted to mention, I don't include it on the list, but in the way I mentioned Anaconda next to Deep Blue Sea, mm-hmm. Ella mentioned this uh, California with a K. It's like the most 90s movie you can watch. It's mm-hmm. like almost like garishly 90s, but it's about this... Uh, two couples that go on a road trip to visit famous murder scenes. And uh, it's an examination of the psychology of the two couples and uh, uh, Brad Pitt playing a particularly disgusting sociopath. Mm-hmm. It's one of his uh, best performances. It's, a, it's an interesting movie. I, I think that there are problems with it, but uh, if you liked Falling Down, have a look at California. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be mentioned uh, a little oh, bit later, later on. Later it might on. be, okay. yeah. All right. Yeah. 22? Okay, 22. Really, uh, to me, this was... Uh, quite an inventive indie horror movie that again had a double meaning like a lot of films in in the 90s horror movies in the the 90s the addiction um and it it was very much the whole thing was an allegory for uh for the aids epidemic which in the 1990s they were paying a lot more attention to um but using vampires and i think it's a great cast christopher walken's in there and um uh Filmed in black and white, it's uh, it's a terrific film. So, Abel Ferrer is one of those really interesting directors, mm-hmm. like uh, strangely weird in the sort of peaks and valleys to the quality yeah. of his movies. I might have to revisit that one. I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, yeah, I've, it's not perfect. It's but a, I remember it's, thinking it's a of small it as, small film, but it's um, I think it has the impact of some of his. It's of the Love subset the of these like art house vamp yeah. movies, you know. Kind of, that was kind of the mid '90s type of uh, yeah. offshoot. So, and that was a, another one of these movies that Christopher Walken showed up in about half of the horror movies. <laughs> and then, well, here's the one. I think if this we were going to do it, if I was doing this with Lee Backman, this is the one where he would just storm out of the room saying, "That's not a horror movie. This is a stupid pick." But speaking of Christopher Walken, have you ever seen The Prophecy? Oh, yeah, the prophecy. Yeah, no, I, I will go with you on that. <laughs> like, I know it's not a smart movie. It's from the writer of Highlander, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's about <laughs> angels fighting each other. But there was something so crazy about the movie and so richly imagined. And at the time, a really strong, hot cast, right? Uh, and then you've got Virginia Madsen again, who we just talked oh, yeah, about yeah. From, from Candyman, and a Canadian actor, Elias Coteus, oh, yeah. sort of centering this completely bizarre horror fantasy mm-hmm. and I think what I love about Prophecy is not that it's an amazing movie but that it's not easy to compare to anything else. no there, it's, it's an original <laughs> so and there uh, aren't many of those uh, for its originality and for you know my love of Christopher mm-hmm. Walken and for some just great isolated moments throughout I put the Prophecy see I I, I think it's enough <laughs> I, I, I would I might say it's more of a horror movie than a couple of the others that you mentioned right. recently. Yet I, the devil's I know, in it. I know where, where you're going with a lot of these. And right. Yeah. Yeah. The devil's in. It. Yes. I think if, if Viggo Mortensen shows up as the devil, I can we can call it a horror. It movie. has got to be. Yeah. All right. We're in twenty one. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Canadian movie. I believe it's Canadian. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Cube. 
Yeah. It is a Canadian movie. Yeah, and I, I have two movies that are kind of similar in look on this list, but uh, and and this one just it's one that I had quite high up, and then I started thinking of other movies, and it kind of got pushed pushed back a little bit. But uh, Vincenzo Natale is the director. Yeah, he's a, he's a good Canadian filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I, I like the movie between the fact that it's uh, equal parts sci-fi and horror and the fact that I think that the cast kind of lets us down a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, it didn't quite make the list for me, but I love that it's on your list because I've always loved that movie. Yeah, and it's... I mean, it's one of these little movies that could. It kind of, you know, it became bigger than it maybe had any right to be. Right. But uh, I just... It's kind of in a similar way to The Addiction. It... It, I, I thought about it afterwards. It's had an impact on me, and I just think it was um, you know, a very, very clever idea. Um, just things that could be as tweaked. As far as how to make a, a movie cheaply and that is high concept, it's mm-hmm. a really good measure. Like, <laughs> So much of the work is done in your head, but it's done so convincingly that you could convince yourself it was actually a big-budget movie, which it was not. So, yeah, no, you're not going to hear me fight back on, on that. I'll good. achieve it all. And 21, for me, is a movie we are going to be talking about. It is the director's cut of Nightbreed from Clive Barker. Yeah, we'll be talking about it. The interesting thing about Clive Barker is that he's not a filmmaker. And I think when you watch his movies, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what he does have is an incredible imagination. And uh, I, I like these monster movies. I, I discovered the book at a fairly, uh, probably too young age. And I thought it was amazing that this, you know, famous British horror writer had set a movie in Canada. Mm-hmm. And when they made the movie, not only did they set it in and around Calgary, they shot it in and around Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, the outside of the cemetery where uh, Boone is gunned, gunned down is walking distance from the small town where I grew up. Oh, so, really? Okay. Uh, uh, I had all of these, this sort of personal connection to it, like being excited knowing that it was being mm-hmm. made there. Good. And I, I, I guess as a young man, I just thought, yeah, I guess if, if monsters wanted to find a place to hide where no one would find them, I guess the middle of nowhere, uh, northern mm-hmm. Alberta, would be a pretty decent <laughs> spot. Um, again, it's a flawed movie, much like I was talking about with mm-hmm. the prophecy, but I love the imagination in it, and I love the monsters in it, and uh, it. Uh, I'd have a soft spot for Nightbreed, so there it sits. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Canadian stuff because that will be that'll be the nice thing I say about it. Yeah. Okay. Fair it, it, it wasn't on my list um, at all. Fair enough. Yeah. Who's buried in Midian? Ain't nothing but dead folk. Somewhere <laughs> hidden from sight. <laughs> Closer than you might think is a place that's not on any map. Midian. Something's breathing there. It looks a lot like hell. But they call it home. There goes the neighborhood. They're not pretty. They're not neighborly. You'll come back now, you hear? They're not even human. But this time, they're the good guys. From the imagination of Clive Barker comes Nightbreed. You can't go down there! They have only one enemy. A beast called Man, sworn to destroy the Nightbreed. Sounds like we're going head-to-head with the devil himself. And only one chance. A man. Called Boone. It's 
I get your feelings about Nightbreed. I can tell you're not not a big fan of it. And I, I will absolutely stipulate there's lots of problems with this movie. <laughs> like there are, mm-hmm. clearly. Uh, I have a lot of respect for David Cronenberg, the director. I have no respect <laughs> for David Cronenberg, the actor. I'm sorry, it's, it's mean, but it's just true. He isn't not much of an actor. In fact, it might be the one flaw in that Canadian film last night, Don McKellar oh, yeah, directed. Yeah. He gave a, a part to... David Cronenberg and he delivers his lines in I guess a way that's not bad but I just I don't think he's an actor I think uh-huh. he's he's here to make interesting weirdo movies keep making your interesting weirdo movies I get the feeling like Clive Barker was starstruck by the idea of working with David Cronenberg the legend and I think the mask that he wears that weird buttonhole mask <laughs> thing is like fucking crazy evil yeah. looking yeah. but as a character and as a performance that doesn't work and he's like our main villain. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a problem. Uh, I also think Craig Schaefer, as a leading man, yeah, he's, he's, I like sort him, of, though. he's sort of good in the late 80s and early 90s. He played a lot of bully roles. He's mm-hmm. sort of like these meathead type of character. And I guess that's just how I associated him. It's him centering a whole movie. I don't know. I, he's fine, but he certainly doesn't blow me away. Mm-hmm. What blows me away about Nightbreed is sort of when I go back to talking about uh, the Blair Witch Project. It's the imagination mm-hmm. of the movie. It's the size and scale of the world. Like, it's a movie, but it could be a TV series. It, 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 it's, you have a feeling like this world is vast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if given a proper budget and if it had an actual director, I, I like Clive Barker as mm-hmm. an imagine, a person who imagines stories and creatives. I, and I have a lot of respect. He directed Hellraiser, and he'd mm-hmm. never made a movie before. And yeah. I think that's a pretty decent yeah, movie. Yeah, it's amazing. And the studio was interfering with him here, which is why we ended up getting with this director's cut. And once again, in the director's cut, it helps him as much as it hurts him. We don't need a whole scene at the beginning of the movie where we hear Boone's girlfriend sing an entire song in this Calgary club, right? We don't need it to go on for as long as it does. I think I kind of like that scene. I don't know. <laughs> it just goes on. Remind forever. me of David Lynch. Yeah. Uh, it's, they did a similar thing in the director's cut of Dark City, by the way, where there's a oh, scene yeah. where Jennifer Connelly sings yes, this entire similar song. Similar type of thing. And it's like, well, yeah, she's a singer in a bar. Do we need to hear this entire song? No, we don't. That's indulgent of the director's cut. Mm-hmm. But what I like about having this director's cut is that uh, we get more of the Nightbreed world, more of the creatures, more of the weird rules. <laughs> uh, one of the characters who first meets Boone, uh, one of the first Nightbreeds he meets, um, confuses Boone for someone else and says, oh, I understand, I have to show you my true face, and then proceeds to scalp himself in mm-hmm. front of Boone as mm-hmm. he is horrified. And at the time you're watching that scene, when you don't know the context of it, it just seems like this random crazy moment. But there is a place in northern Alberta called Midian where the monsters go. And uh, if you're a monster and you want to be accepted somewhere, you find Midian and you will be there. Boone, Craig Schaefer, is convinced by his evil psychiatrist that he is a murderer. And he decides he is a monster and must therefore seek out Midian. The psychiatrist follows in tow both to frame Boone for his crimes and to seek out this place, Midian. Because if there's any place that he could belong or he could rule, mm-hmm. maybe it would be that as well. Mm-hmm. In execution, it's wonky, but 
I like the story. Yeah. That's sort of where I start with Nightbreed. I feel like, and, and I'm going to mention some positives in a moment. Um, I think one of the things we've discovered over time is that Stephen King should not be directing movies. <laughs> well, right? He did direct He's a huge Overdrive. I know. Yeah. I know. And occasionally he he can write a screenplay if you have the right director to shape it. Pet Cemetery is the best mm-hmm. example of that. Um, but this is one where I think reading the story is a lot more interesting than seeing this movie. Uh, and it may have been the limitations of what they could do at that time. Um, and so, I mean, a lot of the... A lot of the looks for the characters it looks like masks and kind of bad makeup and maybe I'm been spoiled by movies and TV shows in that genre that have a lot, you know, the technology now to so make it look better. I wonder if, uh, again, I've, I've said many times I don't like remakes, but maybe it Just would be the time for a remake and it would perhaps, depending on how it was handled, be better than this. All right. Um, I said I was going to say nice things. I, I love the fact that there is a major motion picture that's set in Calgary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Unabashedly, they don't hide. Anything. No, they don't hide anything. They're in Calgary. They have, uh, you know, arguably the most famous Canadian director. I mean, there's a few others that could claim that, but I think Cronenberg is the man, and certainly in in 1990 he was he was the man and a horror legend so having him act in your horror movie i mean as bad as he is and he's awful yeah he is awful and that was a big problem i had early on and i had trouble throughout um if david cronenberg is willing to be in my horror movie i'm going to do it i mean so i i don't blame anybody for this uh and you, you you said you have a personal connection because you you know geographically where they were shooting it yeah and I, that was part of the fun for me because my, my brother and sister and lots of my relatives now live in Calgary. So I've spent more time the last few years there. And I was trying to figure out where where, where Midian actually is. And I kind of thought it was heading towards um, uh, uh, Canmore. But I could be completely wrong about that. They do give vague directions in the movie. Like uh, north of Peace River and south of some other place. Because yeah. like, uh, I don't think it was actually anywhere close to where I was thinking it was. Right. But I mean, the, I think the Calgary stuff is in Calgary. Absolutely. Um, that so that was interesting to me, just more. I, I've liked some movies because the movie Elf, I maybe like a little bit more. And it actually has become a Christmas classic. But I, I saw that being filmed right. when I was living in New York. And I saw. At first, I thought this looks like it's going to be a disaster. James Caan is in a Santa outfit, right? But then a year later, it comes out and very and, charming and become yeah. So I I kind of have a soft spot for some of these movies where I can have that kind of personal connection. It's weird insider baseball stuff. It is, but at the same time, I just could not, I could not get into this film. I I didn't find it scary. I found it distracting. I I just. I, I don't know why I was bored by it because it's such an ambitious idea. But I, I got I got bored by, and I don't say that lightly because everybody, if the movie's over fifteen minutes now, it seems yeah, like people say, long. "Oh, well, that's so boring." But 
it was just I, I was not invested in the story at all and I really wanted to be and I wanted to sort of think outside of perhaps my narrow serial killer David Lynch box yeah. uh, which is quite a different type of box but uh, um, and, and embrace a movie like this but I, I just could not do it and and so after that I I um, tracked down Lord of Illusions to see if it is my issue totally with Clive Barker as a as a filmmaker as opposed to you know being a novelist because I, I really like Candyman for example right. but he didn't direct Candyman um, and I, I think Candyman's better than any of these oh, yeah. but Lord of Illusions I, I could get behind that story a little bit more now the subject matter I guess is totally different um, you know one has kind of this magician cultish type of thing um, so I, I thought it was a more fair comparison to compare these two and I, I was just a lot more engaged with Lord of Illusions as opposed to uh, as opposed to th this film so I, yeah. I, I don't know why I couldn't get into this world because I feel like it is an interesting world and maybe you're right like now if if one of these cable networks was to to take it and turn it into a TV show um, I think the size of it was part of the problem. Part of it is that he's more of a writer than a filmmaker. I yeah. will concede that, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, again, I think this idea of the place where the monsters live and hide, and they accept that they're monsters and they accept each other, but mm -hmm. beyond that, they don't want to fuck with the human world at all. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, Boone kind of spoils the, the whole thing for them. He does, uh, yeah. The humans come to destroy the monsters which would seem like the right thing to do you got this entire community of monsters living outside of your town but the thing is they weren't fucking with anybody they were just trying to be outsiders and be by themselves so even though you know when the rednecks show up to kill the monsters mm -hmm. they're not entirely wrong in what you do what they're doing you're sympathetic to the creatures too or at least some of them i was um i will defend some of the creature designs i know that they are overtly monstery. There's the one guy who has the strange moon-shaped head. Yeah, that sort yeah, of almost feel garbage pail kidsy. Yeah, like, that's uh, I mean, that's part of the problem uh, for me. But there are other ones that I think look really cool. That guy with the weird spindly dreadlock-looking things, or that porcupine chick. Uh, I think she looked kind of cool. Like, um, but then there are other ones when when Boone's going down the passages that just look like they threw some mud on people's faces. <laughs> yeah, like really. I, I, they mustn't have had much of a budget um, for the movie. But. And I think Bartholomew, uh, Bartholomew, this oh, big yeah. creature that they had in there. I don't think that that was rendered. I don't know if it was a special effects thing, but this big oracle creature thing that they're supposed to worship mm -hmm, mm -hmm. doesn't look that credible mm -hmm. at any point in the movie, and I think that's kind of important. It's sort of their tree of life, so when it destroys, it's destroyed, we should feel something. And I didn't. Okay, yeah, no, I didn't. Um, right. But again, weird moments that seem strong. There's a scene of a family getting killed in Calgary at the very beginning of the movie by the mm -hmm. David Cronenberg character. Yeah. And I remember seeing it. It was 1990 when it came out, so I was quite young. Yeah. I remember thinking that was just straight up fucking disturbing the first time I saw it. I, I could see that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah being younger and the, the character. And I don't know if you would be criticizing his acting as much at that time. You would just be thing. getting the... He hits this experience. woman across the face twice with this straight razor, and we see the wound, and we see her fall, and try to call out, but be unable to, and there's something just awful about mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, and again, uh, I guess, again, going back to 1990, so I would be like uh, 
based around 14 years old, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. This this movie set in Calgary. Those could be our neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. some reason that made it personal to me. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I think at the beginning of the podcast, I, I really like that this was set in my backyard. Not because it was made by somebody in my backyard, but because that was a conscious choice of the story. Mm-hmm. They decided the best way to set uh, Cabal, which is what the novel's called, the best yeah. place to set it was Alberta, and they stuck to their guns. And mm-hmm. again, that's what happens when the author is, is directly involved. Yeah, you get the true. feeling like if anyone else was directing it, this wouldn't be shot in Alberta. It's not shot in Calgary. It doesn't matter where it's shot, okay? There's a city where some of the action takes place, and there's a town where some of the monster action takes place. Fuck the rest of it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the benefit of having the writer and the director being the same person. The bad thing is, is that he wants to keep everything in there, and the, he's basing it off of a novel, and it's just too big to put everything in there. You have to make hard cuts when you adapt a novel to a movie. Mm-hmm. And his unwillingness to do that made it sprawl. And the more it became closer to two hours than 90 minutes, the more it was unwieldy. Mm-hmm. Again, I understand that there are huge problems with the movies, but I do have a lot of affection for it. And I do think there are certain movies that, that you're willing to play D for. Uh, I keep on picking on Lynch, but Lost Highway first. Mm-hmm. like. Would you say that was a flawless movie? For what I like in a movie, it's it's not perfect, but it's... You like it almost for its flaws as well as for what works, right? And uh, I mean, uh, obviously... The questions I have and still have about it, I... Yeah. Um, I, 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 I like, but... The imagination is rich enough for mm-hmm. me to acknowledge but look past these flaws. And I realize that a lot of people won't. But if you're in to the horror movies for A, the teeth and the tissue, and B, the imagination, I think there's a lot of that in Nightbreed. As far as technical filmmaking and as far as acting, pretty wonky. Yeah. Uh, but there's enough good in it that I, I encourage you to give it a try. I think this might be my Achilles heel as far as sometimes watching horror movies and you know I again trying to evolve a little bit and being a bit more open-minded than when I was younger but I just couldn't get behind this thing and so I this is when I was looking forward to talking to you about because I wanted to get your take on it right. um, because I thought that you know because this one was your selection, and um, well, I wanted to look at director's cuts, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and and so a lot of the things that you're saying are, you know, uh, all of the flaws that are in the theatrical cut are also in the director's cut. Mm-hmm. It's just more. And I've so, only seen the director's cut. I haven't yeah. seen the theatrical cut. Um, and again, it's it'd be more streamlined. There's be a little bit less. The the big difference is his buddy in the director's cut, the guy who was half scalped. Oh, yeah. was actually killed towards the end of the movie in the director's cut. In the theatrical version, he, he gets to live and is oh, okay. with them at the end of the movie. But other than that, basically everything plays out as you've seen it. There's just more. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I sound like I'm somebody who likes shorter movies <laughs> and I'm easily bored with this. For some reason, it bored me and it, it just seemed like the, the climax was endless. Right. And I, again, I don't know where, where there's some sort of a bias in there, um, well, in, in myself, where I will, I might accept this type of film from Sam Raimi. Right. Um, and because if we look at um, Evil Dead's and Army of Darkness, not everything in there is technically well made. 
but it was, it was just so entertaining and so interesting and over the top like this is and with a lot of imagination but for some reason I'm able to accept that with well, him and Army of Darkness less was so with... fun this is almost high minded I won't say pretentious because it's a little bit too mm-hmm. goofy to go all the way out to pretentious but the whole who is the real monster thing is pretty unsubtle and again I, I imagine what this movie would be like if they hired an actor to play that villain <laughs> instead of Cronenberg uh, yeah. because yeah. his delivery is just so flat it's not, it's dispassionate. And it doesn't come off as him being crazy. It comes off as him being almost bored. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know, I, it's I unfortunate. Your human, you're, I mean, your antagonist needs to be, and there's real opportunities. In a horror movie, you can, and in this, you can be over the top. And you can be, and, and so the, that was a design I did like with that. The button mask. Button mask thing is really, you're right. It is, that's where I thought, okay. That, that this is just the first act. All right, things are really going to start happening now, but it just didn't. It just yeah. didn't get there for Whereas me. Whereas for me, I was like, stop talking and put that mask back on. <laughs> yes. could, could we make the character mute? Exactly. <laughs> just wearing the mask and going around. I think you know you'll know from this conversation whether or not Nightbreed is to your taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it definitely, it's not over reliant on CGI. This is the meaty, which sort is of spongy fun. special effects. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I think, like I say, the cast is wonky, but it's almost made up for by the imagination. Um, I might have overpraised it by including it on what I think it was like 23rd on my list or whatever mm-hmm. like that. But it's always a movie that I've had a soft spot for. And again, I would very much welcome uh, somebody taking another serious whack at it mm-hmm. uh, again. Yeah. And you you have this connection to it because yeah. of it's where you grew up, right? So, yeah. Which is... There's something to be said for that, that subjective thing. And for a while there, there was Nightbreed comic books and Nightbreed spin-off novels and stuff like that, and I kind of got into the world. And, you know, then the next thing came along. <laughs> and I'm biased because I'm the illegitimate son of David Lynch. Right. <laughs> Good enough. Okay, so 20? Yeah. All right, I think you're going to hate this one. Uh-oh. Based on some earlier comments and other conversations we've had. But uh, for me, number 20 is Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, okay. directed by David Lynch. I, David Lynch films throws a lot at you, and Twin Peaks in particular, the TV show, the new TV show, and this movie that's really a prequel to the TV show. Um but there's some really horrifying images in there and and what's happening. And I think it, it really does have, as I try to, the more I watch these films um, and try to understand them, which is a really, really difficult thing. And Lynch will never reveal what his movies are completely about because he really forces his audience to think. Uh, there, there is a, a bit of a, a religious struggle in there. And I, I saw this with, a, with some of the movies that I was considering for this list uh, that Lynch did. There, there seems to be a demon character at, at the center of this, and, and that demon character has this... Bob. Yeah, Bob. Um, but it, it has this effect on this entire town, and it was the most, you know, 1950s-esque small town you could come up with in, in Washington. I think it, the whole Twin Peaks 
idea is a great location to set yeah. uh, to set anything. And um, so I'm a huge fan of Twin Peaks. Uh, I've heard some people that really hate this. They love the show, but they hate Firewalk with me. Um, I, watching it a few times over, I keep returning to it, and I, I feel like it's. I don't know if it's because of the limited series that it's getting more attention. I, I couldn't find it for the longest time. I remember it coming out in theaters, and I wanted a copy of it, and I couldn't find a copy of Firewalk with me. I have it on me. glorious VHS. And yeah. I, can, I have a difficult relationship with Lynch generally. I liked the first season of mm -hmm. Twin Peaks. I hated yeah. the second season of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. And this new series, I made it about three episodes in, and then I just threw oh, my hands Oh, no, you need end. to keep going with it. Uh, oh. the, the thing is, like for me, and again, I'm clearly in the minority on this, is like, it's okay to be oblique. It's okay to, you know, leave the audience guessing. Mm -hmm. But to me, I have to believe that you have a master plan. And I've watched enough David Lynch that I kind of feel like sometimes he doesn't have a master plan. He's just being David Lynch. And uh, I find that a harder thing to respect. Uh, I think that he has moments of brilliance, but I also think a stop clock is right twice a day. I, <laughs> so, uh, the thing I will defend about the second season, I, I think he should not have been working in the studio system. Um, which network was at ABC because right. they wanted they they were trying to force him to do some things that he didn't want to do with Twin Peaks and I think the second season it, it's either they were forcing some some of this stuff or he was like screw it they're going to cancel me anyway so I'm just going to give them a giant middle finger the here first, first season was first weird. season's brilliant it was weird but there was some sort of like uh, almost a subconscious through line to it. Mm -hmm. And the second season is nonsense. I mean, one man talking, but it comes off to me as nonsense. But I, uh, I feel like some of it gets cleared up in the limited series and maybe a little bit with uh, this movie. So I will see your polarizing choice of, okay. uh, uh, of Twin Peaks Firewalk with me and raise you with an arguably more polarizing choice of Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. Well, I was considering it. <laughs> I, I was actually considering it, so... Here's the thing, as an adaptation of the story, it's a complete failure. <laughs> as an over-the-top tribute to the Hammer Horror Studios, mm. it's kind of ingenious. Yes. You got all these classic British actors, you know, getting decapitated and their heads <laughs> spinning and this yeah. crazy over-the-top. And if you love you some, like, Christopher Walken, yeah. Christopher Walken's yeah. entire entire presence in this movie is just... And it's completely stupid. Christina <laughs> yes. Ricci and Johnny Depp do not feel period at all. There's mm -hmm. some lines that are really loud groaning, and yet mm -hmm. it seems all completely appropriate. There's a scene during a romantic exchange between Christina Ricci and Johnny Depp where they cut to this bird in the tree, and it's the fakest looking bird <laughs> you've ever seen. It's but, like, it's also perfect yeah and there's there's some like when i first watched this movie i was kind of like what the fuck tim burton and yeah me too every time i watch it i like it a little bit more yeah. and it's fought its way into 20th place mm -hmm. it even surprises me it's again there's a lot especially in this bottom part of the list that are just they're entertaining movies i guess mm -hmm. more than genuinely great movies but i am entertained every time i watch Sleepy yeah Hollows. well and i think burden and lynch are um Filmmakers that have a very unique uh, stamp yeah. on all their films. You can tell it's a, a Lynch film. You can tell it's a Burden film. But some people really hate 
them as filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, and, yeah, Sleepy Hollow, I didn't like the, the first time I saw it, but I like the cast. And there's some other, like, weird things, like, I, I fairly famous episode of Inside the Actor's Studio where Johnny Depp explained how he decided to play uh, Ichabod Crane, and he wanted to create a... Um, he wanted to meld Angela Lansbury's character from Murder, She Wrote, and a 12-year-old girl into... One. And then he said this was a really expensive movie they were making, and he was playing the lead role as uh, as a, a pre adolescent girl. So, Fair but enough. it works. The whole thing works, and it's a very good looking film too. Yeah. No, that's why I put it in twentieth place, number yeah. nineteen. Number nineteen for me is is a big movie, uh, and I think you could still call it a horror movie. Some people might roll their eyes at this one just because of what he's done since. But the Sixth Sense is. Uh, um, I still go back to the very first time I saw it, and there were some some jumps in there. Uh, Ninety-nine, I think, was a, a better year for film in general, but yeah. there were there were some decent horror movies that year. Um, and kind of back before M. Night Shyamalan started to think he could do anything he wants, yeah. this was probably his most then this and perhaps Signs or his most centered films and. Um, and it was a genuine surprise, which I don't think you can release a movie anymore with a genuine surprise or plot twist because it'll be ruined in five seconds by social media. Yeah. So I'm glad that I had a few years in there where I could see this movie and experience it. I have the feeling like we're, we're stuck with Shyamalan. He will continue to make decent or horrible movies for years to come. The last but one no wasn't bad split. No matter how good or bad a movie he ever makes. Mm -hmm. He will always have the sixth sense. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Uh, in nineteenth place for me, and uh, I wanted to represent the <laughs> remakes. And I also want to talk about how in the early nineties, they were really being tough on violence. Tom Savini directed this remake of Night of the Living Dead. The screenplay was done by George Romero, mm -hmm. and the studio cut all of the violence out of the movie. Mm -hmm. Pretty much all of the violence out of the movie, and incredibly. The movie still works. Yeah, uh, I think it's an interesting uh, retake on the story in that he takes Barbara, a character who was basically hysterical and catatonic in his original movie, mm -hmm. and makes her sort of the strongest character in the remake. Yes, and he, if you if you're familiar with the original, he sort of remixes it enough so that he plays with your expectation a little bit. I'm talking about Romero, the screenwriter, mm -hmm. and I don't think that Savini sucks necessarily as a director. Yeah. I think. You know, he's a special effects makeup guy, and he had all of the special effects cut out of the movie, so, like, my heart goes out to him. Mm -hmm. I think it's a decent remake. The other remake that I'm not including here, I think it's a little bit bombastic and over the top, but I also think it would be weird not to at least mention it. Martin Scorsese's take on Cape Fear <laughs> with, uh, with Robert De Niro. Uh, it's crazy operatic and big mm -hmm. in scale, and uh, it's almost too much at times, but... I had to at least give it a mention, but uh, in, in 19th place for me, yeah. Night of the Living Dead. I, yeah, and I, um, Night of the Living Dead was very, very close for me. It's one of these ones on the list, and then when I had to take it off, I felt really bad about it. And the other thing I wanted to mention is Tony Todd's performance was Excellent. amazing. This guy is a true horror movie actor. Like when he's in a movie, whether he's on kind of the good side as he is, or he's Candyman, yeah. uh, which is not so nice, he's... he's got a great presence on screen and uh, as far as Cape Fear uh, keep listening to my list I shall 
Jason Duvray, what was your 18th ranked movie 18th. from the 1990s? This one might be polarizing. I don't know. Uh, I don't, you know, like like you're worried about Lee. We see both <laughs> both very worried. Lee has a lot of power over the show, I guess. I guess but uh, you know, um, yeah, I wasn't sure how you react to this one. But 18th for me is Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed okay. by Francis Ford Coppola. It is style galore. Um, it, some of the performances are not the best, but I really liked Gary Oldman. Uh, this was in this phase where he he was so good, it took me years to realize he was actually British. Right. Um, and he's fabulous in this. And Winona Ryder, I actually think she's she was I mean she was batting a thousand at that time. You know, I think Age of Innocence was after that, and then Little Women. Plus, then she had the Heather's thing, and like she was she had a good eighties into the into the nineties. And I'm glad to see her again on Stranger Things. But uh, yeah, I, I really like this particular. It's a I'm not sure if I. Well, it's probably fair to say it's a Hollywood version of Dracula, but uh, but Coppola is so independent, and it was, I, I know that he was on top of everything. It was totally his vision, and yeah. uh, I, I liked it from the beginning. It exceeded my expectations, and for years, it's a movie that's just yeah. I've, I've always enjoyed. So there's, I mean, it's not on my list, and here's yeah. the thing: like, I don't feel like I need to defend it not being. My list, particularly. I think anybody who's seen the movie would understand what's to like and not like about the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot to like about the movie, but there's also large problems. And there's also just this thing. And generally, as a a tactic of a movie, I don't like it. I feel this is one of those movies that's just screaming at you the whole time. It's just nose to nose, yelling into your face. And (laughs) it's exhausting. Here's where I, 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 I decided that it didn't qualify... But I was really, really tempted to put Natural Born Killers on here as right. well. Uh, I think I like movies that scream at me. Right. You know, it's just, I, I do like overly stylized films sometimes. As I get older, I, I think I'm moving away from that a little bit more. But definitely in, in the 90s, I, I, I would go for that, that kind of thing. There's and, stuff I like about it. I also think that people make fun of Keanu Reeves. And this it's movie a small is, part of the film. It's though. a small part of the film, but he is terrible in the movie mm-hmm. like well, he's terrible in a lot of movies it's not but... just the bad accent the accent is bad the performance is bad he, i think this was the year he did this and much to do about nothing and it was like amazing that was 93 yeah it was but it was within a few months yeah, within it, half a year of... it's amazing to me that yeah. his career actually recovered from it because those two back to back ouch but um fair enough our 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 god our lord and savior lee beckman yes. said to me years ago that he was one of the most well-read Actors. Right. He's not much of an actor, but he he was well read, so he he knew how to choose the best scripts for mm-hmm. the limited things that he could do. He's kind of found, a, you know, kind of a new a new stage of his career, which I didn't think would ever happen. Right. Um, after like several things that others cannot get away with, uh, he managed to get away with. And I actually hear he's a nice guy. Hmm. Well, so, that's that's nice something. guy. That's that's fine. He. he I would agree with you about his section of the film. Yeah. But, I mean, Oldman was so good. You know, yeah. and he had to play all these different versions of Dracula, which at and the I time pre- I, I hadn't seen in a... I appreciate the effects are all in camera, too. It looks like it's digitally been fucked with, but 90% of what you see shot in camera. It was There's a lot of stuff to respect. I, I also, there's something about that the score for that movie. It was very operatic and... For years, I have not been able to get that score out of my head, and 
You'll no. hear it in trailers and stuff like that, and right away go, oh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And like Sleepy Hollow, great costumes, great art direction, everything. It's yeah. a good-looking film. So for me, 18, here's another weird one. I feel like every, every one I put on this list, here's a weird Here's selection. a weird one. <laughs> um, it's about bugs that grow to be human size and can take the shape of humans <laughs> that live beneath New York. It's completely ludicrous, and it's got this sort of ippy, icky, creepy, crawly thing. I think the magic ingredient here was Guillermo del Toro. Um, if you can get past the early 90s CGI special effects, which there are a couple mm -hmm. of sequences which kind of stings a little bit, this movie way overperforms for me. Like, for this premise of bugs that can take the shape of humans, it's way better than it has any business being. And it has a few moments, and we'll talk about it when we review it, for me, of genuine surprise. And when I sat down to watch this movie mimic, I was not expecting that. So, uh, I'm a Guillermo del Toro fanboy. Mm -hmm. Here sits mimic. Yeah, and I mean, when we talk about it, I, I hadn't actually seen it until watching it for this oh, show. Wow. And I've always wanted to, and I was like, great. I mean, this I've, I've heard such great things. Guarantee this is going to be on my list. And I saw it, and I was like, uh, I, uh, I don't know. I, well, we'll talk it's not, about it. It's not bad, but it, it just wasn't, it wasn't quite there for me. Right. And I feel like it, it should have. And maybe I just haven't given it enough time. Right. Maybe a second or third viewing would give me a, a different perspective on it, but... Yeah, well, I get it, and it, it's a horror movie. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be criticized for that. I think your little Frankenstein's got the better of you. They all died in the lab. But you let them out. Evolution is a way of keeping things alive. Sometimes an insect will evolve to mimic its predator. A fly can look like a spider. A caterpillar can look like a snake. They are breeding. Whatever it becomes, it destroys. Peter, these are lungs. Yesterday, it became human. If that thing has been around, how come nobody's ever seen it? I think we have. You see the size of that thing? We changed its DNA. Mira Sorvino, Jeremy Northam, Josh Brolin, Charles Dutton, Giancarlo Giannini, F. Murray Abraham. Mimic. So when we were talking about Nightbreed, I was sort of talking about a movie that obviously had some stuff working against it, some things that it had to climb over in order mm -hmm. to, to, to get into it. Um, Mimic's in a, a similar category, although right out of the gate, it kind of overperformed for me. Um, mm -hmm. Mira Savino is uh, an actress, or an actress, is a scientist, an actress playing a scientist yes. uh, who had created this special strain of insect uh, that was going to kill all the other bugs that were carrying this hostile uh, virus, which was causing a lot of kids to get sick. And yay, success. She puts new bugs into the New York sewer system. The good bugs kill the bad bugs and the kids are cured. Credits, movie over. No, actually, uh, 10 years later, they're finding some weird insects in <laughs> the sewer system, and uh, large swaths of the homeless population of New York seems to be going missing. And she's called in to do some investigating, and these bugs that were supposed to sort of do their job mm -hmm. and cease to exist mm -hmm. have, in Jurassic Park sense, life has found a way. Yeah. And not only have they grown bigger and buggier, 
they have started to affect this mimic thing where the way they fold their wings over themselves, they almost look like some guy hunched over in a in a trench coat. Yes. Standing by the subway, like at first glance, they almost pass for people, mm-hmm. but they're not people. Um, so, I mean, I'm I'm a horror movie fan. I'm in for a killer bug movie, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and that's the attitude I take going into seeing Mimic. Oh, it's a killer bug movie, whatever. And although it is a killer bug movie and whatever, it is way better than it has any business being, in my opinion. Uh, it's got a way better cast. It's got way better production mm-hmm. values. And aside for some pretty shaky CGI, and in its defense, it was still in the late 90s. Yeah. stumbling era yeah. of figuring out what you can and can't get away with on CGI. I think it was pretty strong. And there were two scenes in the movie that genuinely surprised me. There's a scene where Mir Sabino has made uh, friends with these two precocious little kids who find bugs for her. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they go down into the sewers and they find this big egg sack. And I'm expecting, oh, here's going to be a pop scare where the kids see a big bug. Nope, they're both fucking killed. Yeah. Boom. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting that. Like, Or even if one of them got caught and the other one ran out to tell the others what happened. Nope, those two kids are dead. Mm-hmm. Dead off of the board. Same thing with Josh Brolin. I, I know he's a bigger star now than he was in the time uh, that, that Mimic was made. But I expected his character to have a bigger role to play in the movie mm-hmm. than he ended up doing. And sometimes they kill a strong character early in the movie, and you're like, oh, that's disappointing. I wish they were going to do more with that. But I was so genuinely <laughs> surprised. Uh, even when the movie uses tropes, there's an autistic kid who... Yeah, that seemed bothered. Spoons uh, together. That I, bothered me. Uh, I, don't, I don't like them using that... Uh, angle mm-hmm. I mean, you know it's obviously something personal to me that mm-hmm. like i just think using an this sort of affectation is like a superpower or a way he's quote a dumb kid but he's smart enough to know the difference between the way a human walks and the way a mimic walks mm-hmm. um yeah I, that that's mixed for me but again i'm surprised he's got this father figure the from chronos actually the, mm-hmm. this italian actor from chronos yeah who's sort of been looking after him and he goes to play protection for the little boy. Yeah. He gets fucking... Like, there's, there's a cruelty to this movie. It has no mm-hmm. problem killing off characters that you like. And uh, I think it does... It, it For a monster jumping out of the dark genre movie, which it is, yeah. for that genre, I think it way overperforms. And I think that that has everything to do with Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. So that's where I start with Mimic. Yeah. It's interesting with Del Toro because he he will often take the side of the monster. Mm-hmm. Not this time. Not so. this one. He does not. Uh, and I guess maybe that's putting my own whatever on this. Is that I kept waiting for that to happen, um, but it doesn't happen. And maybe that's better for it as a as a horror movie. I mean, I was looking at because I didn't see it in theaters and I really wanted to see it and I don't know why I, it didn't happen. Um, and then years passed by and I don't see it and then I, I watched it for this, fully expecting that, oh, I, everything I've heard about it, it, it's my type of horror movie. It's going to be, it's going to be definitely on my list of 25 and it's not that I don't like it, but... It's not that I like it. 
Right. I did not expect a, Del, a Guillermo del Toro film to be so in between for me. Right. To me, it'd be one way or the other. I mean, I I like. The difference might have been when you saw it too in 1997 or whenever this was. Mm. Guillermo wasn't quite Guillermo yet. Yeah. Right? And this looked like another bug, like monster movie. Mira Savino was hot off of her Oscar nomination, you know. Like, and that's why I wanted to see it because I, you know, I, Mira Savino. I've talked about a few, you know, on different parts of, of this podcast. Some actors, then when I see that they're in a movie, I'm excited, even if it's, you know, going to be, um, maybe not as it's not going to be mighty Aphrodite that I'm going to see. Mira Sorvino is one of those people. I, I mentioned Jennifer Jason Lee, um, and Juliette Lewis. I mean, I. Right. You know, people that I don't feel get a lot of work. We now know kind of why, unfortunately, why Mira Sorvino didn't get a lot of work into the 21st century, which right. is completely, completely Evil. wrong. And I hope somebody will now consider putting her back in films and considering her who her father is. Yeah. She should have, you know, that's, that just shows how anybody could have been a victim of of Harvey Weinstein and, and this system, which is been around longer much longer than harvey weinstein and um, no she, she's a terrific harvey actor weinstein is not an isolated no it is case. not and i guarantee you there are several harvey weinsteins out there that well aren't. if you hear about the the history of judy garland's career there you go i mean that's and and there'd be all of these unnamed female yeah. actors who could have been who could have been judy garland could have been um yeah. You know, but I guess that's Betty a Davis. stain put on the movie through the benefit of time. Again, yeah. imagine it was 1997 and you were sitting yeah. down to watch Mimic, right? And you didn't know what you do about uh, mm-hmm. about Weinstein, and uh, you hadn't seen where Guillermo's career was going to go. Yeah, I, I, I was. I, I remember hearing about this movie coming on. I was excited to see it, and I just didn't end up seeing it. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe I put some expectations on this that I that I shouldn't have. Um, and so I, I think it's fine. I, I like a lot of the setup. I think the setup is why it becomes something a little bit more elevated than, than a B movie. Right. Um, you know, and there've been, again, so many movies about, uh, human beings interfering in things that they should not interfere with. So none of that was surprising to me though. It just, it just kind of falls apart. In the third act, I mean, we're we're, we're stuck in um, like the the bowels of the New York City subway system yeah. with these characters. And I thought he's going to do something interesting here, and it becomes like just just another explode the hive. explode actiony Hollywood type of film versus the the, the films that are you know, I, I guess I I like Guillermo del Toro's um, Spanish language films more than his Generally English language speaking. films, and um, but even with Shape of Water, which I'm more critical of than some other people, I still felt his heart in that film. Yeah. I didn't see his heart in this film. Well, he as didn't much. write this one either, right? Uh, that, that's yeah. This, I was looking. There, there's several writers, so they 
This must have been one of the things, like, for hire type mm -hmm. of... Uh... Uh, they wanted the same thing with Blade 2. They wanted somebody who could handle a budget and give us good visuals. And mm -hmm. at the time, that's what he was thought of. Instead of someone who could bring us Pan's Labyrinth or The Devil's Backbone, right? Which are just yeah. amazing movies. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen uh, I yet, think, so. I Like, I would say Blade 2 is my favorite of the Blade movies, but I'd still have a hard time calling it a good movie. Mm -hmm. I just think that... Guillermo brought some real style to the action sequences, so it was more likable than the other ones. But this is much better than Blade 2, I think, in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And uh, uh, I guess if I'm watching a movie about bugs underneath the New York City, I guess I'm expecting at some point they're going to try to fight their way to the center of the hive uh -huh, and explode uh -huh, it, right? Uh -huh. But I wasn't expecting to be chewing my nails. Well, that happened, you know. Were you? Uh, and uh, I, I think it really was those early kills of the two kids and the Josh Brolin character, where I was like, okay, the gloves are off in this movie. Like they have no problem killing people. So. Um, and Del Toro, I don't know if he had some influence in that or not. Right. It's hard with to say. the writing, but that's something he does, which I admire about the films that he's made that I really, really like. Even for things that like deaths that we see coming, Charles mm -hmm. S. Dutton as the secured yeah. black security of, guard. Of course, you're not, not living done. through no. this movie. No, but uh, you know, remind me of he boldly sacrifices himself to because he's bleeding badly and the bugs are attracted to it to buy the rest of the group some time, and that kind of sucks. It's like, oh, that sucks. I like your character, and I felt like it. This is the same performance I've seen him give several times over. Though I oh, think no. He, Alien, Charles S. Dutton. Can, Aliens 3 or whatever. And, Charles S. Dutton's a really powerful actor who's he's a great very actor. rarely asked to do anything yeah, more yeah. Than, than just show up. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you know what that character's going to do. And, again, like I knew when you met that guy, uh, he's, you know, going to lead them to the place where they meet the bugs. And then, because he knows his way around the system, he's necessarily going to have to die so they don't know how to find their way out, right? Mm -hmm. I knew that as soon as I saw him, but I still gave a shit when he died. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. Or just the grossness of it. There's this scene where they're squishing yeah, all is. the bug guts on themselves yeah. so that the bugs won't see them. Yeah. And like, that was really gross. But... Really gross, but you know that, that part's effective too. I mean, to me this would be a three-star movie. Mm -hmm. But that's maybe my disappointment with it is that it... It isn't like I absolutely hated this, but I admire the ambition. Right. Or this, oh, this is one of the greatest horror movies I've ever seen, and maybe it's unfair to have that kind of expectation for this film. Well, and I, I was so in between. And again, he gives us the monsters well. He gives us the kills and the, those scary moments as good as anyone will. The problem falls down to it being a familiar screenplay and mm -hmm. for a couple of missed opportunities. If you wanted to go from a Frankenstein angle, you know, yeah. she created these bugs and she did it for good reasons, altruistic reasons, but they are her responsibility. It's by, you know, inference, all of these deaths are kind of on her. But there's no consequence for her. But that doesn't come on her face. She doesn't seem to be feeling it. No. She's doing everything she can to kill the bugs, but I don't feel her suffering over what she's done. I don't mm -hmm. see her torment. There's no flaw or heroic element to her character. She's no. just sort of dealing with the information as she gets it. And I think that was a missed opportunity. The other mm -hmm. thing, and they tried to touch on it with the director's cut, but it was footage that was unshot. But uh, the original idea was that the... Bugs were not only uh, increasing in size and uh, evolving quicker than they anticipated, not just in their appearance, but in their mentality. Mm -hmm. Originally, at the end of the movie, 
the instead of this big you know explosive kill the mother bug sequence mm-hmm. basically the bugs claim the New York underground they uh, confront Mira Servino and all of a sudden speak to her mm-hmm. and say the underground is ours now and basically say stay out of the underway the subway systems the sewer systems they belong to us now and that's where the movie was going to end that's where that movie that you're describing would be up there right uh, instead we yeah. get the conventional yes. crush the mother bug no more eggs come explode yeah. the hive I will argue that it's very well executed kill the mother bug and explode the hive but I will agree I think that it would be stronger and creepier if humans lose bugs win right mm-hmm. and uh, I think that that makes a certain mm-hmm. amount of sense I, I, w- I would say the first two acts of the movie are terrific right but I, it just felt like it was it was building up to something um, a lot more interesting than what the payoff wasn't there for me and then like the end scene with their felt so Hollywood right. the couple and, and it was it was Guillermo del Toro doing a for pay job but I yeah. think doing yeah he didn't have enough job. power to to object to but he made a pretty decent that. monster movie and uh, there's not yeah, enough. It's, of it's those. not the worst. Yeah, yeah it's especially not the worst, in the but... '90s. Again, uh-huh. like list all the great monster movies from the '90s. <laughs> well, David Lynch didn't make a monster movie in there, but uh, if so, it would have been great. And there's uh, Deep Rising. <laughs> like, what are the '90s <laughs> monster movies? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, I remain a fan of Guillermo. I remain a fan of Mimic. If it sounds like something that will appeal to you, it will. Yeah, it gets kind of conventional, but for a conventional horror movie, it's executed well. Also, a crazy cast. F. Murray Abraham yes, in yes. for a couple that was, scenes. Norman that was great. Reedus in there for a couple scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's star-studded. Uh, check out Mimic if you haven't. Yeah, it's worth the view. Seventeen is, and this is one of the ones that we are going to review, uh, The Exorcist Part 3. Um, and I might repeat this later on, but uh, The Exorcist is my favorite horror movie of all time. Right. And so for sequels to, a, to exist, to but I mean, we're just, I've lived with them my entire, you know, cinematic life, as yes. it were. Um, I just knew that they, they didn't just leave The Exorcist as The Exorcist. I think... Um, they did a great job of this particular sequel, um, bringing elements from the original, making some things make sense, and then finding a different level of horror because what you could get away with in 1990 was different than the early 70s, even though they really did push the limits in the early 70s. Um, it's a very, uh, maybe it's a little bit of a flaw, and maybe that's why it's not you know a little bit higher on my list, is that it is... Uh, it is fairly intellectual in places right. and they, they do want to analyze this and I think that was William P- Peter Blatty 
was so concerned about the Catholicism and the theology connected to an actual exorcism. Um, so there's some sections that might drag for modern audiences. But again, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And for me, Exorcist 3, where, okay, you're not going to make an adequate sequel to The Exorcist because yeah. you can't. can't. But what it does do is make me forgive them for Exorcist 2, which in and of itself is quite the feat. Because I thought that the series was so thoroughly, thoroughly, <laughs> utterly dead after Heretic, right? That, like, how could you? How could you pull out of that, right? So... A lot of this is about how you experience it because I had heard all of these horrible things about Heretic. And when I saw it, it, it certainly, to me, it didn't ruin The Exorcist. But I didn't hate it as much as everybody else did. Yet it's the third act is a giant mess. I think that movie's a fucking garbage fire. I really do. Uh, <laughs> I, the problem is I like some of the actors in there and right. they were able to get me, keep me going. So, so for my 17th, I have a tie... And it's sort of centered around this director, Robert Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. I think the unsurprising one would be From Dust Till Dawn. It's a oh, fairly yeah. memorable and crazy vampire movie. Mm -hmm. But the one that people miss always is The Faculty. Yeah. I, uh, it's Kevin Williamson sort of riffing on sci-fi and the invasion of the body snatchers in the same way he was riffing on, on When a Stranger Calls or Friday the 13th with Scream. It's not that what they're doing is completely you know, innovative or inventive, but they do it with enough style and enough energy as to find it quite entertaining. You're going to see a young uh, John Stewart get stabbed in the eye. <laughs> yeah, You're going right. to see B.B. Uh, Newworth get stabbed through the hand with a pencil. Mm -hmm. You're going to see, you know... All sorts of interesting stuff when you sit down mm -hmm. to watch it. Famke Johansson as a super smoking hot teacher and this weird tension between her and one of the students. So like, uh, I don't know. It's one of the, it's that one that kind of gets forgotten about the faculty. Mm. I find and uh, I've always had a soft spot for it. And yeah, as far as from dust till dawn, I find that it's a difficult movie to hate. I mean, it's oh, not, it's so much fun. It's not for everybody. I get that, but I mean, if if you don't like if you don't like from dust till dawn, you don't like fun. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I, I think From Dust Till Dawn is one of my regrets that I don't have it on this list. Uh, and it's another one where... It's maybe more funny than scary. I guess the case could be made. Yeah, I, it's another one where it's wrestling, but I mean, it is... At least the second half is horror. Like, that was the criticism when it first came out is the first part looks like it was written by Quentin Tarantino and the second part looks like it was Robert Rodriguez. You know, it, it just the, it kind of shifts, and I mean, their styles work mostly well together. Um, but it is a lot of fun, and so don't think that my exclusion of it in the top <laughs> twenty-five means that I, I I don't love it because I do, and it's it's one of these ones where I I wanted to put it on, but I just was looking at the other movies that I had here, and I just couldn't find a spot for it for. And sometimes I was kind of balance out some of the smaller films you've heard and Canadian, some Canadian films. Um, and I just couldn't find a spot for it, which is kind of odd for a movie that Tarantino is involved with. And yeah. I like Rodriguez. I, I like From Dust Till Dawn quite a bit more than The Faculty. I, I found The Faculty, to me, it was so over the top. Um, and I thought it was maybe a touch of Kevin, you know, Kevin Williamson thought he could do whatever he wants after the success of Scream. So it, I just... Uh, it, it doesn't always work out for him. He did this movie I'm going to be talking about soon on the podcast called Cursed. Which oh, yes, yes. I forgot about that, yes. 
terrible. Yeah. Like, uh, like I'm not saying the inclusion of Kevin Williamson made it good, but I thought it was just overperformed mm. for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's and it's a horror. Mo- they're both horror movies. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of wish I, you know, you could see that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of beating myself up here and on the inside that I didn't put From Dust Till Dawn in there. I, the faculty didn't work for me, but Fair that's, it has entertaining qualities, but then it, I, I was waiting for like the payoff and I, I didn't get the payoff I wanted, but I think you did. And yeah. that's, that's good. Right. Your turn. <laughs> My turn. I'm on to 16. This is one that we talked about in a previous show. I think it's an underrated horror movie called The Dark Half. Mm-hmm. Um, George A. R- Romero directed it, and um, again, it's it's one of the ones where he he had a little bit more money to work with because he's working with the studio, but it was such a disastrous process that he never did it again, yeah. unfortunately. But I, it, it's it's one where I think I had read the book, and then the movie came out in a similar time frame to when I had read the book, and so because the book was so fresh in my mind, I by all rights should have hated the dark half right. but I loved it I thought they, they they got most of it right I mean you're not going to get everything in a Stephen King book together for for a film but I, I think it's a one of the most solid adaptations of his work and uh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah Timothy Hutton is absolutely terrific in it in, in both roles for me it's all about Timothy Hutton in, in that movie I love mm-hmm. Romero too I, I I'm it's funny. It's not on my list. I'm thinking, why is that on my list? But I guess it just... I, I, I looked at every movie in the horror movie that was made in the 90s, or yeah. at least considered it, and for whatever reason, Dark Half didn't make the list. So it's kind I, of like you're from, from, from Dust Till Dawn, Dawn, yeah. I, I do think it's worthy inclusion, uh, and I do think it has a lot to do with Timothy Hutton playing those two roles very effectively. I feel like it gets forgotten about, and I want to nope. sort of keep the memory of this movie alive. Good fix. And uh, 16th place for me. Dear Ravenous, how do I love thee? <laughs> Let me count the ways. Oh, nice. Oh, good Guy Pierce is centering this absolutely batshit, insane movie. Uh, he, he, through an act of cowardice, manages uh, uh, to heroically overtake the command of the enemy. And uh, his reward is to be sent to this obscure location in the middle of nowhere so he can be ignored where he encounters a deliciously over-the-top Robert Carlyle, yes. who plays a madman who has learned that if you eat somebody, you attain these magical healing properties mm-hmm. and super strength. And although the movie is every bit as crazy as it sounds, it's also completely entertaining. Yes. Like, it's full of faces that you're like, what are you doing in this movie, Jeffrey Jones? <laughs> yes. And uh, it's got an absolutely bonkers uh, soundtrack to it. Uh, the, there's something just unforgettably mad about the movie and um, you just gotta roll with the punches no matter what you see in the movie just just accept it mm-hmm. and wait for the next scene in some ludicrous way the pieces do all eventually fit mm-hmm. but this is a bloody crazy funny violent movie that more people should watch Ravenous in 16th place is in this was my fear as I was going through this that you would mention a movie and I was like, why? Why did I not? <laughs> Ravenous. Yeah, that's Ravenous. another great choice there. Um, I mean, I don't know, balancing it out if it would have actually made my top 25, but it's it's definitely worthy. And it, I mean, yeah, it's a movie that actually has some ambition to it and does things that I think 
you were saying a lot of 90s horror movies were, were not willing to yeah they do. were trying shit so points for even that right? yeah 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 exactly and Robert Kyle Carlyle <laughs> wow man that guy can go over the top <laughs> he does it so well yeah. he does it so well number 15 right yeah number 15 for me now I don't know if if it's because of the previous movies that I can get away with calling this a horror movie or not certainly comedic horror movie but Army of Darkness by Sam Raimi Um, and I just had one of the great experiences uh, of going to the movies my first year of university uh, I was playing at uh, Place Real they were having a sci-fi horror film festival and uh, went to see Army of Darkness and uh, it's I don't know if this is a good thing or not, and me selling this as a horror movie, but I, I don't remember laughing that hard in the movie, but it was, it was so funny, yet it's gory, and, and and not quite as gory, I think, as, as Evil Dead. So Evil Dead, I mean, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, I would probably rank higher as far as being Quality pure movies. horror movies. Um, but I think that the secret was out after Evil Dead 2 that he was actually making a comedy as well. Yeah. So everybody was kind of on board and was aware that this was supposed to be funny as well. So that might be a little bit of a flaw there, but I I really enjoyed it. I have it in the middle of kind of in the middle of this list here. Uh, I I yeah I, I don't think um, you could go wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Yet I do feel like you should see Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two before you see Army of Darkness. No, it's a package deal. But Army of Darkness is stupidly awesome, and yes, yes. we'll be talking about that again later. On. Yeah, sounds good. Good. <laughs> Uh, in 15th position, uh, this is a tough one. I have a love-hate relationship with it. I had to include it on the list, but I, I couldn't put it too high because it makes me fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> Audition. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, this, it sort of starts really innocently. Like, the first hour, hour 15 minutes of this movie is, like, this old guy who is lonely and his buddy and has this great plan that they'll hold these auditions to find, like, the perfect girl for him. It's under the auspices that they're looking for an actress. But really, he's looking for a companion. And it's kind of... It reminds me of, like, uh, the David Mamet play, Oleana, taken oh, yeah. to, like, a more extreme extreme. Mm-hmm. And, like, his behavior towards this girl is not very good. He is kind of awful. He maybe doesn't know that he's being insensitive and awful to her, but in the end of the day, he is. But the punishment does not in any way suit the crime. <laughs> uh, so it is a hard-to-shake movie. Like, uh, So I will give it points for that. It stays with you. Uh, I'm going to shout out to my friend Anita, who's supposed to be doing a rank and review, who's had a list of movies to watch for almost two years now. <laughs> and the thing that's hanging her up is that Audition's on the list. Oh, she doesn't want to she's scared to watch uh-huh. it. <laughs> So, but you you can hate a movie on this podcast. You can like if yeah, yeah even if you don't like it. But I think like she's just the reputation has preceded it. Uh, it's a tough watch, and it is a tough watch. But it's not stupid. It's not necessarily straightly exploitive. It's just it's ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so audition. Yeah, I have to admit I haven't seen it, so oh, I won't be go. able to um, say as much about. It. I have heard of it, but. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, so it didn't didn't make my list because of that. Fair enough. If you haven't seen I don't it. know what I, I I happen to like David Mamet. You know, some people really hate David Mamet. I like David Mamet. So if it's that type of a thing, does it have a bit of a Neil Labute quality too? Well, 
in that it's taking an uncomfortable subject matter and kind of poking it and poking mm-hmm. it and poking it. Definitely Mamet so, and Laboot are, are, are definitely guilty of that. Yeah. Um, this is obviously like it's an Asian torture porny-ish sort of thriller. So oh, okay. the yes, context yes. of it is much different. But yeah. what I was talking about with Oleana is that, yeah, this guy does some things that are shady, that mm-hmm. are actually maybe even kind of gross. Yeah. But he does not deserve what happens. Fate. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, yes, that's I, where I, I think said. I'll watch it just because it sounds so controversial that <laughs> yes. I have to see this. Yeah. Take a look, for sure. Uh, okay, 14. 14. Um, uh, so, uh, shout out to Joel Shoemaker uh, with this one. It was early, early 90s. Uh, I Flat think line. it is, uh, yeah, Flatliners as a offshoot of the 80s. Kind of a little bit of a quasi uh, a Brat Pack type of thing, even though they aren't official members of the Brat Pack. Um I watched it again very, very recently just to see if the first time it freaked me out just because I was younger or whatever. But I, I think it's just so, so unfortunately it's been remade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just a great premise for a horror movie. Um, and that comment on doctors playing God, it was, uh, and the actors they got, I mean, I think it's the one and only time that you would have Kiefer Sutherland gain higher billing than Julia Roberts yeah. in a movie. Oh, and Kevin Bacon happens to be in this thing as well. Yeah. Great cast. Um, Oliver Platt. Oliver Platt, underrated yeah. actor, and uh, he's terrific in it. And it's one of the interesting things is he's the only one who has the sense not to to, take to actually try to die to uh, to solve the, the yeah. mysteries of death. Um, yeah, I, I liked it a lot, and I think it's it is well very well directed by Shoemaker. He yeah. he had a lot. There was a lot of symbolism in there, but it it was it was subtle. Uh, we're dealing with uh, with bullying and guilt about all sorts of things. Sins being manifested yeah. and being punished. And physically. starting to show up there, and uh, like that the kid that they got uh, to be the kid that uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character um, yeah. it's uh, a, it's apparently killed was had the look for any horror movie at that particular time and so those kids are because you don't know what completely what's going on you see flashes of it and it's it's revealed in a very clever way and and just like um like some of the setups are a little bit oh the the lights are suddenly dark in this the subway in new york city and he's by himself no good is going to come out of this but uh (laughs) but i i think they all they all sell it really well i love flatliners um I didn't include it on my list. I think that it's more interesting than frightening to me. And it's also... I found the same thing, actually, when I rewatched Jacob's Ladder for this. It really feels 90s to me. In a Mm -hmm. way, it didn't when I watched it the first time because it was the 90s. uh, uh, It hasn't aged as gracefully as I would have liked it to. But I think you're right. The premise is rock solid. And the execution ain't bad. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and Sutherland up, has that quality, and maybe the younger Kiefer Sutherland before he became kind of the Jack Bauer hero, yeah. hero or president. I haven't watched that show where he's the president of the United States type of thing. Um, he was playing a lot of really kind of is. ugly characters and darker characters, but he had that arrogant quality that was perfect for the lead character in in, the, in this film. And um, I thought Roberts was very good too. Yeah. And in the scenes that she had, it was kind of subtle the guilt that she had uh, surrounding her father. Um, and this movie is just so fresh in my mind because I just watched it last weekend right. um, to figure out where it belongs, if it belongs on the list. And uh, but for me, I, I maybe I wasn't bothered by 
it's being very, very early 90s and looking early 90s well, I mean, as much. That's not necessarily a problem. It's just something that I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, uh, at the time, especially Jacob's Ladder, seemed like such a cutting edge movie. And it's starting mm-hmm. to feel. It's, you, yeah, you know, I, I had a different reaction once we talked about Jacob's Ladder, too, compared to the first time. The first time, you're like, what's going on? And <laughs> it seems, Flatliners, I felt like we. I mean, we didn't have all the pieces, but it was. Fairly uh, clear it, what was Yeah, happening. a little bit more clear than. Jacob's Liar, you have to think through the whole thing. Uh, in 14th place, actually, speaking of Kiefer Sutherland, and one of my favorite roles of Kiefer Sutherland is in this movie, uh, Alex Preuss's Dark City. Uh, yeah, I was wrestling with that one. Oh. It's, it's, again, another one. It's weird to call it a horror movie, but, I mean, if you're a denizen of Dark City and you've been, as a, spoilers for Dark City if you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. basically been pulled and put in this huge alien lab rat mace, you know. These aliens change your environment and your identity night Mm -hmm. to night just to study you. Uh, And this this whole unraveling that Rufus Sewell uh, discovers Mm -hmm. a full year and a half before The Matrix, by the way. Yeah, much Uh, better than The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really just, I think that the journey that that character goes on, the creepiness of those villains, it feels as much a horror movie as a sci-fi movie. So that's 14th on my list, but I also wanted to give a special mention to an early 90s science fiction movie called Fire in the Sky. Oh, yes. Great. Great uh, choice, yeah. It's based on a quote true event of a bunch of uh, hunters Uh I believe who got abducted one of them was missing for almost three days before they found him naked and shivering in the woods and it's one of these real spooky ones in that there's a lot of corroborating evidence around it Uh, and whether or not you believe the story much like whether or not you believe the Amityville horror this presentation of it in the movie is quite frightening especially in the third act when they show you what he experienced so uh, shout out to Fire in the Sky yeah. not easy to get your hands on that one that's uh, a hard one yeah. but uh, in 14th place for me Dark City Yeah, I, I like both of those Dark City I love that movie it was on my top 10 list that year right. because you know I'm a nerd and I make top 10 lists every year <laughs> that's um, uh, and I, I was struggling much like I don't know from dusk till dawn and a lot of the movies that you're mentioning I was struggling with is this a horror movie or not I actually got to the point I googled it (laughs) and I saw this strong reply this is not a horror movie I thought okay I guess I'll I'll leave it out there but it's a movie I wanted to promote because not a lot of people have seen it and it did come out before um, before The Matrix it's a better movie than The Matrix like several other films I was considering for this list but then the struggle is is this science fiction or is this horror, or does it work for yeah. both? And I so that's why I, 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 unfortunately, I it's one of my regrets. I a couple sci-fi that, draw, that ride the line. Like, I wasn't going to not include Alien or Invasion of the Body Snatchers mm-hmm. in the 70s countdown, yes. right? Like, like it would you just have, have to. felt wrong. So yeah. uh, I put Communion in the 80s one, that Christopher yeah. Walken one. Yes. So, I put a few in, but I did try to be disciplined about it. Mm-hmm. But I did find that movie frightening. Honestly, well, the beginning the of it is it's it is very scary. So, yeah. So now I think from dusk till dawn, and uh, and, and and maybe maybe Dark City more than Ravenous. Right. I would I, I regret not having in this <laughs> list. I'm gonna have more regrets than I am. <laughs> like wow. Well, well, do you regret your thirteenth choice? Uh, I think my 13th choice is one that a lot of people will agree with if they have seen this movie, but it has not been, I don't think it's been seen by enough people. It's called Event Horizon. Okay. Speaking of science fiction and horror together, um, it 
it has that alien type of quality. I don't think I reacted to it appropriately the first time I saw it. Watching it again and preparing for this, it is a terrifying film. It is a gory film. And uh, it's one of these ones I don't know why people keep going on these special missions in space to these areas where... Uh, where there's some strange disturbance happening. Um, Sam Neill is, is is the lead in it, and uh, it's, a, it's a great cast. Um, to remember the name. Uh, Kathleen Quinn. Um, Quinlan, yeah. Quinlan, sorry. Yes. Kathleen Quinlan. I haven't seen her in anything for a while, but, but she, she's terrific in it. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how you feel about Event Horizon. It's... Um. Uh, everybody likes it more than I do. I, I think it's got some great qualities. I think on a like a technical execution level, there's some really amazing special effects in it. And I like the idea of scientists sort of puncturing a hole in the universe that yeah. accesses hell. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff in it conceptually that I liked, mm-hmm. but I've never found the movie particularly frightening. Oh, really? okay. and, uh, it's gory I, though. It's gory, but mm-hmm. that's a different thing. You know what I mean? I, it, it's it's atmospheric and it sort of knocks on the door of a lot of big ideas but in the end of the day it's sort of like a gory movie i guess i think the acting i keep mentioning this i guess the acting sells me on that too and sam neill's performance it's kind of how that switches they switch with his character and it's like holy he's a good guy he's a good guy he's a good guy then they get there and he is Is... a completely not good guy yeah yeah Yeah. no i again I, i think i understand what you're saying with mm-hmm. this one um, it, and as I said a lot of these movies don't actually scare me and yeah. I don't know if I've desensitized or, or what, what the issue is um, so to me the style points the acting um, the premise uh, it all, all seemed to work for me I mean is it I, I felt the influence of Alien yeah. in here Alien's a much better film um, I think it might be the director thing with me is it uh, Paul Anderson his name's Paul uh W.S. Anderson, not to be mixed up with Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson, who's yeah, but he did one of the, the great Resident Evil directors. movies, and he did the yes. Aliens vs. Predator movies. And mm-hmm. I find it like true with this movie as with all of his movies, and that I think they look amazing, but they don't make me feel anything. Okay. That's just almost uniformly how I feel about his movies. I don't know what it is, but that's it, what it is. Um, yeah, I felt something more this, this time, yeah. like preparing for probably more than the first time and I, I guess it was again the, the perspective because again um, our lord and savior Lee Beckman uh, <laughs> he, haunts uh, this podcast. he haunts this podcast he he told me that this was the scariest movie in recent memory so I so I saw it and I was underwhelmed by it initially so I thought I needed to look to consider it for this list uh, I wasn't sure it was going to show up yeah. and so the second viewing was so much better and I did find it, if there was a movie that was going to get me to the place of being scared, it was it was this one probably more than some of the others. So, yeah. again, uh, I get it, I and mean, this is one of those movies that people are going to be pissed off that I didn't put on the mm-hmm. list. But for me, uh, that was always the one that looked good. But yeah, that was it. Well, fair for enough. Some reason, uh, you know, I, I have weird choices on my lists. Case in point, I've got a zombie tie in thirteenth oh, nice. place. Uh, uh, the 90s were not a good time for zombies. No. The early aughts brought zombies back into the fort. So both of these movies are deeply strange fucking sideshow <laughs> circus, like completely crazy <laughs> zombie movies. We have Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, mm-hmm. and we have uh, 
Delamorte Delamore, or it is known on this side of the ocean, Cemetery Man, oh. starring Rupert Everett. No, I thought that was 80s. I believe that's 91. I can confirm okay. that here. Yeah, you, you're probably right. Um, but both of those movies, completely crazy, and both oh. of them, like, not what you would call traditional <laughs> zombie movies, but I have a real... Soft spot for both of them. Yes. There's something so... It's 1994 for Cemetery Man. Okay. Uh, there's something so crazy and off the rails about Cemetery Man. Like, oh, scene so for good. scene, you do not know what you're going to get. A completely raunchy, like, Red Shoe Diaries level sex scene on a gravestone. Oh, yes. Followed by a romantic scene between, like, this Igor figure and a hovering severed <laughs> zombie head. There's... The movie is so hella fucked. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, I also say, not for everyone. But oh, no. I love it. Same thing with Dead Alive. Uh, this is not the first movie that ever had a guy take out a room full of zombies with a, 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 a lawnmower, but it's probably the best movie that <laughs> someone take out a room full of The director helps with that. Yeah. Uh, it is so crazy, over-the-top, violent. Lit. Like, mm -hmm. the, the actor is gasping for air mm -hmm. as sheets of blood yes. are falling on yes. him. Like, it is absolutely crazy. I love it. It's from New Zealand. Mm. Uh, it's Gallagher seats. Like it's one of these movies that you're either going to laugh all the way through, or you're just going to have to leave the room. Yeah. But if it's your cup of tea, it is a delicious one. And 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 it was so close to being on my list. It's <laughs> one of more so than some of the other ones that we've been mentioning. Um, and the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, entertaining, but I'm, I'm not quite sure. Then I saw it as a midnight movie at the Broadway Theater with an audience. That's the way to see that movie because it was so much fun <laughs> yeah. that way. And there's, there, there's the baby yeah. sequence with the baby, which is was so creative to me. That was like what I, I think a lot of zombie movies pale in comparison to that one. Um, and... And another one, which would be a, a Peter Jackson-directed film that's a little bit of a regret for me. Uh, it's not quite as effective, but The Frighteners is, uh, yeah, is, have, is quite an interesting I have a soft film. spot for that movie, yeah. but I couldn't honestly put it on the list. No, I know. I, I do like that movie a lot. It, it, was, it was close. They were, again, if it was a top 30, those two probably would have been on the top yeah. 30. Um, yeah, so great choices, and I'm just... The list of regrets piles up. A cemetery man. <laughs> cemetery I don't know why I thought it was it was late '80s, and so I didn't consider it because I had the wrong year. Alas. Which I mean, I would be beating up the 15-year-old uh, version of myself for not getting that right. So it's a memorably crazy. Oh, movie. it is so good. It is so good. I, I, in fact, I would recommend it. Not everybody's gonna like it, but you, you need to find this movie and you need to see it if you if you like to be entertained. You know most people do. That'll wrap up the first of our two-part saga on the 1990s and what are the best horror movies of that particular decade. Tune in next week and find out the rest of the list and uh, send me your feedback. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Write to review at gmail.com. Also, please tell a friend about Ranking Review, and please keep an eye and an ear to the ground. Book of Trespasses will be coming sooner or later. Book of Trespasses, it's on its way.